halakhums for the Zoom, and it's mandatory and coming upon the father that they should provide some sustenance for those mothers, or as you're going to see in a moment, you can also hire someone to breastfeed and wet nurse your child. It's mandatory on the father to pay them for that, to give them some clothing for that. Now, kislev can literally mean clothing. It can also be understood today, what we say, some type of maintenance support, or to provide for their basic needs. So it means that if there was a woman who was in a state of poverty, to give her some money to provide for her basic needs, and then on top of that to give her some salary or some compensation for the breastfeeding. Uh, bil ma'ruf means what is known to be fair and proper and just. So to give what is known to be a good and just amount. Allah does not burden anyone beyond the capacity of that person. The mother should not face any harm or duress due to her child. What does that mean? That means that, for example, if the mother feels that she's not able to breastfeed for some reason, either medically or otherwise, it's not a mandatory. It's a strongly preferred, but it's not mandatory for her to do that. And nor should the father be brought to harm due to any way, due to his child. This means that Allah SWT is not putting, Allah SWT is trying to declare that this act of breastfeeding or for the father financially supporting the woman who is breastfeeding is not viewed as some type of undue burden. And you should pay it according to your capacity, bil ma'roof means your capacity and her expectation. That is linked to lactical of nafsun illa wa saha, bil smantan does not burden anyone beyond their capacity. Wa alal warisi, that if that baby's father has passed away, the Mufassirun have taken this two ways. One means the waris or the heir of the father, means that not just as the money of the father who is deceased passed to his heirs, but also the responsibilities of the father passes to his heirs. And now the father's heirs, the deceased father's heirs, should look after that baby. And one of the ways of looking after it is making sure that the baby is wet nursed and breastfed, and the woman who does so, be it the mother or a wet nursing woman, is properly compensated and provided for. A second way the Mufassirun have taken this is that wadis means the child's wadis. So if the father dies, if there's any person who could conceivably in the future become the inheritor of the child. This is more prevalent understanding of the Mufassirun. It's a bit technical, you don't have to understand the laws of inheritance. If a person dies and they don't leave behind a father, then their grandfather. If a 20-year-old man dies without money, and there was a share that should have gone to their father, and if the father is not alive, then the share goes to the grandfather. So in that sense, the grandfather is viewed as the warrant of the child. So that's most likely what it really actually means. You can understand that if the father is not there, then the grandfather, whoever in the ahkam of warathat, in the laws of inheritance, will take the place of the father, were that child to grow of age and leave behind assets and die at an early age, in which that estate would be distributed. And so that inheritor also has the same responsibility to provide for the breastfeeding of the child. If they wish to stop or wean that child away from breastfeeding, either stop it or wean him away, due to their mutual agreement between the husband and wife, and their mutual consultation, then there is no harm on the two of them, means it is jais not to breastfeed as well. And many times today, uh, many of you women would certainly know that Although there was a time when there were certain studies that tried to establish that breastfeeding was not good, but again, the state of the field of medical research suggests that 
breastfeeding is good, but sometimes a woman is not able to do so for a full two years. Sometimes after one year she wants to put the baby on formula, sometimes there's traveling. There can be many reasons why, as long as the husband and wife mutually agree, then there's no harm whatsoever. And technically speaking, although it's not preferable, but if the husband and wife mutually agree at the outset to even begin and start with formula, that is permissible in Sharia, it will not be a sin on them, but they may have missed out on the preference that Allah Ta'ala has placed in breastfeeding. Second hukum is that if the mother can't do it and you want to hire someone for this, so if you wish that you wish to hire someone and then as a wet nursing mother for your children, then there's no harm in that as well. As long as you, there's no sin on this, when you will give to them or you will pay to them or offer to them what you will give them, again, with what is known and proper. So you must pay such a woman, compensate such a woman with what is known and proper. All of you know that in pre-Islamic Arabia this was a custom, that babies were given to women other than their mothers to breastfeed, and the famous example that you would know that Sayyidina Rasulullah was sent by his mother to Amma Halima anha for breastfeeding. And fear Allah SWT and know that Allah SWT is extremely aware of every single thing that you do. And Basir, He knows everything that you do. Basirun, He is extremely aware of everything that you do. Next now is coming an issue of the iddat of a woman whose husband passes away. This is the waiting period of a widow. And those who die from amongst you, and you leave behind wives, those wives should, it literally means restrain themselves, they should keep themselves in a waiting period, i.e. spend an iddat of four months and ten days. Alright. Here also the hukum, as we mentioned yesterday, for a divorcee, iddat of a divorcee, is the iddat of a married woman who is widowed by her husband, who is pregnant, the period of iddat will not be four months and ten days, but rather be whenever she gives birth, be that one week, be that eight months, whatever the time period may be. Right. And I'll do that a little bit later. And when they reach and complete that period of four months and ten days, there is no sin upon them in what they do regarding themselves in terms of if they wish to get married to somebody else, they wish to leave the home and become, you know, break all, I mean, they're, they're Restrictions of iddat are no longer upon them, so there's no sin on them what they do regarding themselves, bil maruf, as long as again they remain with what is known to be proper and fair and virtuous. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has extreme knowledge and is extremely informed about ma ta'malun, each and every single thing that you do. And there will be no sin upon you if, okay, now there's another issue that when a woman is an iddat, let's say there is so a there's a married couple, the husband dies, the woman is a widow, she's spending her in the, let's just assume she's not pregnant for month, 10 days. Let's say there's another man who wants to marry her. So can he propose to her during her iddat? So this is one of the rulings of iddat. Or does he have to wait for the four month and 10 days to pass? Likely, in such a situation, this fellow has already been waiting many, many years. Nay, <laughs> some did. In all likelihood, because you really can't get to know about a person during her iddat, 
So there must have been something, somehow, some way, some reason why he wants to marry her that existed before her iddat, and obviously before her iddat means when her husband was alive, so he couldn't have married her then. So if, so this is ajeeb, Allah subhanahu ta'ala understands. And how can I put this to you? In the deen of Islam, sincere and true romance that lies within the sharia is allowed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what is Allah subhanahu ta'ala saying here? That there's no sin on you, that if you, now adadhtu means that if you make, as you say in Urdu, arzkarna. But it means here if you subtly prefer or hint or do an ishara to her, min khitbatin at a proposal or betrothal, right, to those women who are spending the iddat. There is no sin on you if you do that. Second option is that you harbor, conceal it, keep it to yourself for the time being, because indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows that shortly you will indeed mention it to her, in other words, once the four months, ten days pass, you will mention it. So this suggests there's a feeling here in the ayah that it would be better if you concealed it and wait for her that to pass. But maybe you feel that you missed out on your opportunity once upon a time, and you don't want to miss on it again, so better you get your little signal in during your idda. So that would be permissible to do. But, walakin, but, la tuwa'iduhunna, you should not make any promise to them, sirran, secretly, you should just do a hint, you should not secretly promise and set upon the date and all of that, you can't do that. You can just give, an, in other words, you cannot even reveal your own firm intention. You can just give a hint that you are considering it, so perhaps she may consider it during her idda. Unless you say, and this is very bariki, unless you say something that again, kol ma'ruf is a statement that is known to be well and proper and within bounds. However, You should not resolve on or firmly commit to tie the knot on the actual contract of marriage until the prescribed period has reached until its duration. So you can't actually make a firm commitment to marry. You can either keep it to yourself, you can make some small ishara proposal, maybe you could say something and indicate that I'm waiting for you, right? But you cannot go all the way during that period of the iddat of that woman such that you make a complete firm commitment to make that time of nikah, that has to wait till after it ends. And again, Allah Subhanahu says, and you should know and be well aware that indeed Allah Subhanahu ma fi that Allah Subhanahu knows each and everything that you harbor in yourselves, that you think and you feel, so that you should be wary of Him. This is a particular type of fear, it means that you should be wary of Him, wary of your thoughts, watchful over your thoughts and your emotions, because Allah Subhanahu knows them intently. And secondly, you should also know well and be assured that indeed Allah subhanahu is all forgiving. Halim is all forbearing. Halim again is that being who has the ability that if he wants, he has the power and ability to punish us for our sins, but he withholds that punishment out of his forgiveness and mercy. Next few eyes are talking about the legal ruling of meher. Meher is an amount in our deen that is required for a husband to give a wife. It is considered wajib that you mention, that you appoint and stipulate and decide and mention the amount of meher during the actual nikah itself. If you don't do that, it will be a sin, but the nikah will be contractually affected. Nikah will The nikah will take place. 
you would have left something out that you should have done, there will be a sin for that, and as soon as possible thereafter, you must mutually agree and stipulate the amount of that merit. But if for some reason you didn't do it during the nikah, the nikah would still be valid, you would still be husband and wife. Fulis Kanta saying here now, number one, is that there is no sin upon you if you divorce those women whom, now the Jesus says, those women, so literally says, those women who you have not touched. Those of you who are listening in Lahore or here online, you would have remembered yesterday I explained that when there's a shadda or tashdeed in Arabic, it comes for intensity. So tamassu, with a shadda on the scene, means that you touched intensely, so this has been understood to mean, let's say, consummate marriage. However, the Islamic ruling is that Either you consummated the marriage, or the woman gave you, she offered herself to you for such consummation. This is what we call khalwat sahiha in Arabic. In other words, Islamic definition, shari definition of what you call rukhsati, does not necessarily mean the marriage had to be entirely physically consummated. It's enough for the woman to submit herself to you in such a state of privacy, that if you had wanted to, you could have consummated it. So actually, even if the husband did not consummate it, but she offered herself up to him and gave him that opportunity, that entitles her to the full mayor in the event that he chooses to divorce her. That was his own choice that he didn't do. But this is talking about that situation where neither consummation took place, nor was the opportunity to consummate preferred, preferred there was no khalamat sahiha In that case, right, and secondly, and the second situation case being mentioned, so the first is that there was no consummation, no opportunity to consummate, and second is the divorce in the case that you had not, you had not stipulated for them the farida, the part of the amount of mayor. Alright. So what are you supposed to do in this situation? Because in this situation, then the woman is not entitled to the mayor. So what will the woman get? She should get something called mata'a. Mata means that she should get um... Okay, let's now split this up now. There's two subcategories. The first thing is that marriage has not been consummated, nor was the opportunity to consummate. If the mare was stipulated, the woman gets half that amount. If the mare had also not only was the marriage not consummated, but on top of that the mayor was not even stipulated. In that case, the woman should get this thing called mata. It means you literally means you should give them some stuff. You should endow them with some possessions. You should gift them some belongings. It has not been mentioned exactly what it is because Allah continues al musi on the person who is affluent, who has wide wusat in his wealth, kadruhu he should do it according to his ability and in other words according to his affluence. Wa'al-Muftir, and that person who is straightened is poor, he should do it Qadruhu according to his ability. So this is another good example of future Al-Ma'ruf, as to what is known to be fair and proper, fair and proper given your situation and condition. Mata'an bil-Ma'ruf, haqqan al-Muhsineen, and the haqq means lazim, is mandatory on the people of virtue. So you must give that woman something. If the mayor had been stipulated, she gets half that mayor. And if the mayor has not been stipulated, you must give her something, but Qur'an and Sunnah have not made it wuta'ayyin. And there are certain things in the husband-wife relationship, 
even such a short-lived one as this, that divorce took place even before consummation, that Allah SWT has left on this thing called ma'roof. And that means that Allah SWT is going to see how a person behaves with their spouse. So it's considered to be much, much better to give her as good a gift as possible. Ideally, what you should do is think, what should her mehr have been? And this is mehr mithil, what would her sister, what did her sisters get as mehr? What did women of her same educational, socio-economic background get as mehr? What did women of her letter, erudition and knowledge in deen and taqwa get as mehr? That's what should have been stipulated for her, so I should give her half of that if the marriage is not consummated, or even maybe a little bit more than half. That would be ma'ruf. Alright. Next is coming this issue of... Okay. If you divorce them, min kabla if you divorce them before you had had a chance to consummate with them, and you had stipulated for them the amount of mer, that you will give them half of what you have stipulated, except, number one case is the woman could forgive it, she could say, no, it's okay, I don't need that half. The woman could say this. Oh, what does that mean? It means here that, let's say the husband gave the whole meher right there at the time of nikah and then divorced her before consummation. Now her then entitlement is only to half mare, so he's entitled to claim back half of that mare. So it's he is forgiving, and that's the case here, that he forgives his right to claim back that half. And that is preferred by Allah subhanahu So here Allah is addressing specifically the men, not the women. It's not that it's better for the women to waive it. For the men, it's in such a case in that they have given the mare, or even if they haven't yet, that you should give the full, the idiomatic translation, that you give the full anyway, that is even closer to taqwa. So again, Allah Ta'ala not legislating, not mandating certain features of husband-wife relationship, but giving guidelines as to what is better, what is noble, what is more taqwa. This is one of the reasons why Sayyidina Rasulullah said, the best of you is the one who treats his spouse best. Why? Because within that, Allah Ta'ala has given a range it's given it a range. One is what is mandated, legislated, and one is what is a potential way that we can earn this qurb and akrabiyat towards taqwa. And do not forget and neglect, don't neglect, literally forget, but don't neglect to be generous and gracious between one another. And so realize that you were husband and wife. So imagine that that Allah subhanahu who is telling a man and woman who are now divorced our divorcee, that they should not neglect grace and graciousness with one another. So imagine how important it would be for a husband and wife who are still married not to neglect grace and generosity with one another. The deen of Islam is mentioned, so fadl, right? This is, so it's not hukuk, this is totally different things talking. Ma'roof and fadl means to be soft, kind, generous, caring, understanding, compassionate, patient, forgiving. These are the things that Allah wants. Right? Even between divorcees, let alone between a man and a woman who remain married. <laughs> that know indeed that Allah is aware of every single thing that you do. You find this keep coming in all the ahkam of talaq and iddat and mehr, everything to do between husband and wife, every few eyes Allah says this. That he is alim, he is basir, he is khabir. He wants the husband and wife also both to feel that Allah subhanahu wa intimately knows what they're doing and how they're dealing and how they're feeling about one another. 
now on this point, I'll shift in here, Hafidhu al-Salawatim, Hafidhu al that you should closely guard and establish the prayers, and especially the middle prayer. Some of the Mufassirin have said the Salat al-Busta is Fajr, because they took number one as Maghrib, saying that the Islamic day starts at the night, so one and two is Maghrib and Isha, four and five is... No, that doesn't work. Yes, right, four and five is Zohar Nasr, so the middle one would be number three, that is Fajr. Others have taken it the other way around, that even though the Islamic calendar starts at Maghrib, but in terms of the day, right, a person starts with Fajr, so the middle would be Asr. More likely it would be Asr here. Why? Because the first question that arises is, why does Allah Sallallahu even bring up Salah? He's bringing up two, three eyes in the middle, and he's going to go right back to Talaq and all of that. One reason the ulama have mentioned, and I'm not able to do that that often in this course, is called Rat. What is the relationship between Ayat when Allah Sallallahu changes subjects What's the relationship between those two subjects to one another that they come up? Here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, those of you who have been following that prior to this, in many, many ayat, Allah ta'ala was talking about ahkam, about legal rulings pertaining to ma'mulat, about interpersonal dealings. So in the middle, Allah ta'ala wanted to remind us that even though you are caught up in these interpersonal dealings, in uljinome, right? You shouldn't forget the prayers. Even though you're caught up in Mamullah, don't forget your prayers. Hafizu Allah Salawat, you should closely guard the prayers. That's why he brought the zikr of Salah in the middle. Now, if you look at that context, then Asr seems to be more likely because Fajr is not a prayer that you offer in between Mamullah. Asr is that prayer that you offer Wusta in the center or in the middle of Mamullah. So the Rajah or the more preferred tafsir is that the Salat al Wusta is Asr. Obviously, each prayer is equally worthy of being preserved. But here the ishara was that sometimes your involvement in mamulat is going to put you in danger of preserving your prayers. And that prayer, maybe in that society, maybe for some of us, that is sometimes most in danger, is the prayer of Asr. Now the Spantah is going to mention another thing. To show Hafidhu ala salawat, how important the prayers are. So first let's to show that you must safeguard them even in distracting circumstances such as mamulat. Now you have to be regular and steadfast on them, even in adverse circumstances such as jihad, peace فَإِنْ خِفْتُمْ That means that if you're in desert, mean the mujahideen have fear. But it means that you're in a state that you fear that you will be unable to hold fast and defend the enemy lines. You fear that you won't be able to do your duty as the mujahid. Then what you should do, فَرِجَالًا Pray on foot, Allah Akbar. Pray while walking, or rukbana, or pray while riding. Imagine that deen that doesn't let the mujahid, right? These surgeons love to ask, can I skip my prayers because of a little procedure? The mujahid can't even skip his prayers. Hmm? He has to pray while walking or pray while riding on his mount. Shows the incredible ahmiyah and importance in our deen of salah. فَإِذَا amintum, And then when you return back to a state of peace and sanctity and sanctuary, فَذْكُرُ اللَّهَ كَمَا أَلَّمَكُمْ That you should make dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So here in Qur'an al-Kareem, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mentioning that salah, dhikr, the word dhikr in Qur'an al-Kareem is used sometimes for dhikr, remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, sometimes for Qur'an and sometimes for salah. Here is an example that has been used for salah. The word فَذْكُرُ اللَّهَ means make salah, formally pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. كَمَا أَلَّمَكُمْ The way Allah ta'ala taught you. Now again, this is a
Again, this is one of the ayat that established the hujjiyat of hadith. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Pray to Allah, Kama allamakum, the way Allah ta'ala taught you. In the Quran, Allah ta'ala doesn't teach you how to pray. And in the Quran, Allah ta'ala doesn't teach you the number of rakats. And in Quran, Allah is referring to the fact that He taught you how to pray. So it means those hadith are taught by Allah to us through Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa this is several ayat. We've already done many, many ayat in Quran. Established the existence of a source and a body of revelation of Wahi that is in addition to Quran al-Karim. That is Hadith and Sunnah. That which you did not know earlier. Okay. Next ayat that is coming is actually a ruling that is one of the rulings that have been abrogated in Quran al-Karim. I mentioned this two days ago. That when before this specific ayat about inheritance were revealed and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allotted specific share of inheritance to the wife before that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed this ayat which is what in those of you who die it means that you know you're about to die you're close to dying and you leave behind wives that it is mandatory upon you to leave a wasiyah to leave a last will and testament a bequest for your wives Mata'an, again, enough provision and stuff to last them. al for one year. Ghayra ikhraj, but they will not leave your home. So what does it mention? It's mentioned that you should leave behind, you should write down in your will. You don't do this anymore. This is, mansuf means this hukam, this ruling no longer applies. But there's a lesson in this which I'm going to show you in a moment. But you have to understand the ruling before you can understand the lesson. The ruling was that you should, that the man should leave behind a written will which leaves behind enough wealth for their wife that she could be supported for one year. But what would be the level of the support? She would remain in that husband's home. So it means that residence, dwelling, rent is still provided for her. Other than that. However, but if the women want to leave, the widow wants to leave, Right? فَلَا جُنَاهَا عَلَيْكُمْ Then there is no sin upon them. فِي مَا فَعَلْنَا فِي أَنفَسِهِنَّا With what they do regarding themselves. مِنْ مَعْرُوفِ Again, with what is known to be well and proper and virtuous. But if the woman were to leave, then she waived, in that early hukum, she would have waived the right to that support. If she stays in the home for one year, she's entitled to one year support. The interesting thing, lesson for us, is it shows us that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was training men how much to worry about their families after they die. One year. Today people worry that they want to leave behind enough money that their family and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-grandchildren will all, they're thinking, they need to leave behind enough wealth and enough businesses and factories and homes and houses and properties and accounts and funds and trusts so that their lineages will be able to survive. So the lesson is still there one year. One year. That's it. Your figure cannot last beyond one year. Allah Ta'ala will provide some other way. Alright? Wallahu Azizun Hakim, that Allah Ta'ala is all powerful, almighty, all wise. Okay, now Allah Ta'ala is going back to the issue of divorce. And for the women who are divorced, Mata'un bil Ma'ruf. They will have, here the mata is referring to, can refer to three things. Number one is meher. So bil ma'ruf means the meher according to what was known to have been decided as the meher. Second, it can mean a maintenance during her iddah, the iddah of the divorcee. 
Third, it can mean giving an extra gift. Some of us, this is a minority opinion, have taken this to refer to that in addition to the mayor, in addition to the maintenance, because the divorce has taken place, the husband, former husband should give even an extra gift to that woman. Hakan al muttaqin Earlier you saw Hakan al muhsinin So it doesn't mean that I'm not muttaqin, so it was for Farzani. As in Allah is saying it's farz on every moment, but he's saying it's part of your taqwa. Again, husband, wife relations, even those that are farz are means for us to attain taqwa and ihsan. This is also mercy Allah Ta'ala's put in the husband and wife relationship, that even those things that are farz, that are legislated as mandatory, they're a means for us to return, attain taqwa and ihsan. And so, so such does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala clearly explain and manifest to you His verses, His ahkam, His signs, so that you may become people of understanding. Alright. Now comes an incident Allah subhanahu is going to mention in the Quran. Interestingly, this incident is not mentioned. What exactly the details of this incident are, are not mentioned in any sahih this is another feature I'm going to start highlighting to you in this month's course, is that there are many areas of Qur'an that if you take this position, that I only follow Sahih you will not be able to understand Qur'an. It's another thing. You will not be able to understand Qur'an. And I'm sure all the other people around the Qur'an must explain this, I, the way I'm about to explain it. And they may otherwise claim that they only look at Hadith in Bukhari and Muslim. There's no way they'll be able to do it. In fact, if you want to only restrict yourself to Bukhari Muslim, you won't ever be able to do tafsir Qur'an. Never. And no Mufassir, no Mufassir in the entire history of Islam has ever said that I will only use Hadith of Bukhari Muslim to understand Qur'an. And no Mufassir in the first 12, 1300 years, because I can't say what goes on in the past 100 years, has ever said that we will only and only use Sahih Hadith to understand Qur'an. Why? Because there are certain Hadith that are required to understand Qur'an and none of them have been transmitted to you at a level of Sikha. They are reached to you either Hassan or in some cases even Zayf. And much could be said about this. This is another thing that we many times in other occasions have explained to you about Hadith. So what this incident is, Qur'an does not make it, it's going to be very vague and ambiguous in Qur'an. So let me translate it to you in the vague and ambiguous way first. That do you not see and do you not reflect upon those people who left their homes and they were in the thousands. So their members were in the thousands. Hadar al they were fearing death. And it was said to them, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to them, die. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after some period of time brought them back to life. Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the entity and being who sends his fuzzle on humanity. But the vast majority of humanity do not appreciate that fuzzle. Who were those people? What were those people? Why were they going? Right? So that is mentioned in non-sahih, but non-maldhu. In other words, authentic, but not sahih level authentic, but authentic hadith. And that is, this is an incident in the time of Bani Israel. That this Nabi Sayyidina Hiskil alayhi salam, which in biblical language they call Ezekiel, E-Z-E-K-I-E-L. This was his community. And what happened in that community? That there was a plague that afflicted that community. So when they saw this plague, plague is an extreme illness, right? That causes people to die and drop dead. So they decided to flee the plague. And they fleed the plague by the thousands. 
But even then, Allah SWT commanded them that they should die. To show them that they can't flee the decree of Allah SWT when He wishes to send a plague, when it's unclear whether that was an adab or punishment or a test or just one of the features of Allah SWT, then He caused them to die. So when Allah says, فَقَالَ اللَّهُ Allah said to them, means Allah addressed His command of death to them, ثُمَّ أَحْيَاهُمْ And then Allah SWT brought them back to life. This was His puzzle upon them. This was His puzzle upon them. But then a general statement, Allah Ta'ala has sent His incredible grace on humanity. But the vast majority of humanity is unappreciative of that puzzle and grace. Now, Hadith, Sahih in Bukhari, the Sayyidina Rasulullah said that you should not flee a place where there is plague. You should have summer. And there are other Sahih that also say that you should not flee a place of oppression. You should embrace your shahada. It's very different to the way people think today. Our rational mind thinks that if anything is difficult, we should run, we should migrate. We should move to America, move to Bahrain, move to Kuwait, move to other places. Right? So this is tawakkul. This is what Allah SWT is saying. That this is a nizam that He is running. He sends difficulty on people. You won't be able to escape it. And it's not your job as an Arab to try to escape the nizam of ibtila and imtihan that Allah SWT sends on humanity. That would be against our ubudiyya. Because Allah says so many places in the Quran, we've done several places already, and many places are coming. That He is going to test you, try you, afflict you with hardship, difficulty, duress. And if a person keeps trying to move to avoid it, it suggests that a person is trying to is engaging in a type of escapism. You cannot engage in escapism with the nizami kudrat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You cannot have escapism with the irada and mishiyat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In fact, I can tell you my own Shaykh Hazruji, once he was talking about Kurbe Qiyamat and Alamat Qiyamat and Hazbahin, so a person was sitting there, so they asked Hazruji, because it comes in Hadith that the Jah will not be able to enter Makkah Makkah Madinah Munawrah. So they thought that Bas Halaf Pakistan Mikhrab on it. So let's move to Makkah Madinah, right? So our Shaykh told him, you stay where you are. So, but what if any of these seditions or fitna or fasad or war comes on us? So, so you become Shaheed. Person, it just it took them. <laughs> right? I mean, the one hand, look, Sayyidina Rasulullah says some sunnah is he made dua for shahada. So we're supposed to, that sunnah means not sunnah, dua doesn't just mean a word you say on your tongue, it means a feeling and desire you should have. Of on the one hand saying shawki shahada, on the other hand trying to flee and escape from all the possible opportunities of shahada. <laughs> doesn't it make sense, right? Okay, alright. وَقَاتِلُوا فِي سَبِيلَ اللَّهِ You really have to have listened to yesterday's and day before's recordings when we talked in quite in detail about the ahkam of jihad. Right? Karachi walutu mufmiyad sunray, asul humara, audiences in Lahore, you're welcome to listen online, but what I've done before I'm not going to repeat for you. This is a cumulative series, so even things may come up in this series today, if I've commented on them earlier, I'm not going to comment on them again. I will just tell you, I've already commented in detail about the ahkam of jihad. You should fight in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Brief commentary. Repel aggression with aggression that with a light aggression. And you should do so to remove fitna from this earth. And you should know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all listening, all knowing, completely aware of everything that you will do in the course of that fighting, during that fighting. Alright. Now comes another ruling that jihad needs to be financed. And this also, these ayat came yesterday about infaq fi sabilullah, spending in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
Who is that person who will lend to Allah SWT a virtuous goodly loan? Now obviously Allah SWT does not need loans. <laughs> like in this world when a person who needs a loan is a needy person. Allah SWT is explaining this by way of metaphor that who is going to place this financial sadaqah as an amanat with Allah SWT that Allah SWT will return to him with the hasanat and darajat of Jannah in the Akhirah and on the Day of Jannah. That's what it means. And the phrase, the Arabic, mandaladi, that who is there? Who is there who is noble enough to respond to this call? Who is there who is true and loving and loyal enough to Allah SWT to respond to this call? And what will Allah SWT do in return? Allah SWT will multiply that hasanat and barakat for them, multiple fold, manifold, abundant multiplications. Wallahu yaqbudu. That Allah SWT is the being literally who withholds or restricts and who expands or extends or bequeaths. In other words, barakah and kathrat lie in his hand. And to him lies the return. In other words, all of you will be returned to Allah SWT. Now comes another long incident. Right? Again, tafsil of this incident comes in part in some sahih and in part from some hasanadith. This is now a group from Bani Israel. This is this incident from the Bani Israel after the time of Sayyidina Musa salam. And Allah SWT asked, Alam tara il mala'i, that do you not gaze in wonder, have you not learned and taken the lesson from the chiefs and leaders of the Bani Israel, min ba'de Musa, from later on, after Sayyidina Musa salam. Now there's up to now in Surah Baqarah, we had lots of stories of Bani Israel in the past few days about what they were doing in the time of Sayyidina Musa Islam. Now, after the time of Musa Islam, when they said to a prophet of theirs, and this prophet's name is mentioned in the Quran, right? This prophet's name is mentioned in the Quran, but it comes, one or two different names have come in Hadith, alright? Uh, these were many, many prophets that came to the Bani Israel, even after Sayyidina Musa Islam. So they said to this prophet of theirs, appoint for us a king. Why? We want a ruler. Why? We want an emir. Why? They said, so that we may fight in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it's going to come again in another two lines for the same reason. To repel the aggression that was done to us and to eliminate the injustice that is prevailing on this earth. Alright. So that Nabi... Because Allah Ta'ala must have revealed to him how they, this Bani Israel community had treated Sayyidina Musa that these people were insincere. So he tells them, Qala, their Nabi says to them, Allah, can you imagine a Nabi? This is the conversation between a Nabi and their Sahaba. So beautiful are the conversations between our Nabi Sayyidina Rasulullah and his Sahaba. Look at the Quran mentioning the conversation that the Anbiya of Bani Israel have to deal with this Bani Israel community. So their Nabi says to them, could it not be that in Kutiba alaykum al-kitab, that if fighting is prescribed for you, Allah to qatilu, that you that actually wouldn't fight? In other words, you're going to ask me to appoint a king for you so that you will fight in the path of Allah SWT and then it will become mandatory for you, then you won't even do it. Qalu, they responded, Why would we not fight in the path of Allah SWT? But we have been expelled from our homes. So you see, it's repelling and responding to aggression. Right? And literally means our sons. 
This could mean two things. It could mean that we and, so it literally means sons, but it can mean families and children. So it could mean, number one, that we and our families and children have been expelled from our homes. Or it could even mean that we have been expelled and exiled from our homes and separated somehow from our parents and children. Like a refugee situation. Like a refugee situation. And surely, then when indeed the fighting in the path of Allah was prescribed upon them, they turned their back on it, they turned away from it, they spurned it. Except a few from those few members of that community. And Allah's knowledge encompasses those who are unjust and the wrongdoers. And then their Nabi said to them, Allah has chosen to appoint and designate this person in Arabic called Talut, in the Biblical English called Saul, S-A-U-L, Saul, alright? Appointed him over you as a ruler, alright? So who's, who is telling them? Their Nabi. And their Nabi is telling them who selected Talut? Allah SWT. Their Nabi is telling them, their Nabi who they ask themselves to appoint a ruler for them, their Nabi is appointing it and telling them, Allah Ta'ala sent revelation to me and appointed him. Alright. However, how did they respond? So they responded to him that how can it be that to him is granted the rule and the dominion? Alayna over us. And we have a greater right to be rulers than he does. If only he had been given breath of wealth. In other words, he wasn't well off. So what are they doing? They're not rejecting their ruler. They're actually rejecting their Nabi. They're rejecting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because that ruler was appointed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and their Nabi. So they felt basically actually Talut was not from one of the financially well-off or one of the more, let's say, higher classes of that community. So they were upset about that. Okay. So their Nabi Kala, their Nabi says to them, Inna Allah astafahu alaykum. That Allah SWT has chosen him to be over you. Wazaduhu. And Allah Ta'ala has endowed him with what? Bastatan fil ilmi wal jism. Allah Ta'ala granted him breath and ilm, endowed him with incredible knowledge, and mujism, it means of stature and strength. He was tall and strong. This is an example of a phrase in Quran that people do and can use. Sometimes they say to one another, like we may make dua for our Imam, that just like Allah Ta'ala has made you bastatan for jism, Allah Ta'ala made you bastatan for ilm. And many times in the madrasa, when you have the big mufti in both senses, that he's big as in big, right? And he's also big as in tafakku and ilm. So sometimes they use this term about him. So that's permissible to use Kalamullah for a fellow mu'min when that Kalamullah was used by Allah SWT in either a neutral or favorable way. And what's impermissible is to use Kalamullah that is used by Allah Ta'ala as a warning or admonition to mushrikeen to use those words for any Muslim. Alright? So he was bastatan fil ilmi wal jism. Wallahu yu'ti mulkahu man yasha. And indeed, Allah subhanahu wa grants the rule and dominion to whomsoever he wills. Understand this properly. This doesn't mean the converse is not true. It means that when Allah subhanahu wa chooses to designate somebody as a ruler, he chooses whomsoever he wants on his basis of preference as a ruler. 
It does not mean the opposite. It does not mean that every ruler is selected by Allah. It doesn't mean that Mr. Z can use this eye about himself and feel that I have been Allah Ta'ala grants the rule to whomsoever he wanted, so I've been chosen. It doesn't mean that. Do you understand? Whomsoever Allah Ta'ala himself chooses to be a ruler, Allah Ta'ala selects that on his own basis. Whom you choose to make your ruler, you selected that on your basis, doesn't mean Allah Ta'ala's hand was in that selection. His idhan is there, that he's given you the free will to do it, it doesn't mean his mashiyat and irada is not this. It's not this, alright? So and you can imagine how different is it then the ruler that is selected by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or according to the wishes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala versus that ruler that is selected by this extremely ignorant, uncultured group known as the people. Alright? Wallahu wasiyun alim and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sometimes these small husna are translated as adjectives so it means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's knowledge is all-encompassing. Normally it is better to translate them separately, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is wasi, that him in his awareness, totality, nusrat, everything is all-encompassing of the situation, and alimun and he's all-known. Muqallam nabiyuhum, and then their nabi told them that look, inna ayat mulkihi, look Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala perhaps knowing that you are going to not be happy, right, about his... Mm. being appointed as a ruler over you. So a sign that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given that he is going to be your ruler and king is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has bestowed upon him a taboot. A taboot means literally it's a trunk which contains some type of sacred relics. And that's exactly what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying. What is a taboot? A trunk, fihi, in that trunk Sakinatum So number one, the things that are in that trunk are a source of sakina. They're a source of blessings and peace and itminan for you. And what are those things? And everything that is left over from the things that were left behind, what remains from the things that were left behind by the descendants of Musa Islam and the descendants of Harun al-Islam. According to Hadith, what was in there? So the staff of Sayyidina Musa Islam was in there. The turban, Imama of Sayyidina Harun al-Islam was in there. So this is what you in Urdu, but it's in Arabic or Tabarruk, you, you know them as Tabarrukat. This is the Quranic proof for that. Because number one, it shows that, okay, let's start number one with prophetic Tabarrukat. It shows that Sayyidina Musa Islam and Harun Islam, and obviously they had these things. We know they had the Asa. And the Biyah Karim said that the Imama is the Sunnah of all of the Anbiya. So they had an Imam, they had physical objects. Alright? Now let's say Allah Musa, you could say, okay, the staff was a special thing that Allah Ta'ala gave him. But it's not confined to that, because nowhere in the Quran of Deeds mentioned that Sayyidina Harun Islam was given any special miraculous object like a staff that turns into a serpent, right? So what, what is the taraka? That's what there's an Arabic here. Mimma taraka. What could be the taraka of Harun that went to us all? It's mundane things in that sense. He didn't have any mu'jizat objects that he left behind. So it was his turban, his clothing, mundane things. So what's coming in this ayah is both those objects that are mu'jizat of the Anbiya and those mundane objects of the Anbiya were viewed by their all, by their descendants, as things to keep. And Allah Ta'ala, more importantly, unless somebody say, oh, their descendants were astray. 
And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is approving that, Allah ta'ala is mentioning that, and Allah ta'ala is saying, number one, that those relics left behind by those anbiya contain what? Sakinatum mi rabbikum. They're a suburb of sakina. You know sakun, right? And who did Allah ta'ala decree to carry that trunk? Tahmiluhul malaika. The angels are going to carry that trunk. Angels, who are themselves incredibly blessed creatures, are going to carry the trunk that contains the blessings of the leftover things left behind by the Anbiya. So imagine again. Alright. Now I'll ask you a question. That those items that they left behind, let's take again, again, we have to say the Hornet song. And this is what Imam Rabbani Mujad al-Fasani doesn't explain what I'm about to say specifically, but he's explained a concept to us, which is absolutely correct, and nobody's ever disputed this, that all of the Anbiya are also awliya, just like all the Anbiya, you see all these words that come in Quran, right? Muttaqeen, Salihin, Siddiqeen, Awliya, every Nabi is all of them, right? Every Nabi was Muttaqeen, every Nabi was Wali. So one aspect is the Nubuat of a Nabi, his prophethood, and the other aspect is his wilayat, his closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How can you understand the difference? The difference means is that that aspect called nubuat is the prophetic mission. Is that aspect and their actions and their statements and their deeds by which they called people to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What was their wilayat aspect? That was their qurbad Allah. So Sayyidina Rasulullah standing the night in tahajjud. At that moment he's alone, right? In his room, in his literature. He's not inviting people to Allah. That's his own relationship with Allah subhanahu wa So the question is that these objects that they left behind, did they have barakah because of the nubuat of the anbiya? Or because of the wilayat of the anbiya? If they had barakah because of the wilayat of the anbiya, then the objects that the awliya leave behind will also have barakah and sakinah in them because of the wilayat of the awliya. Therefore, if you keep the shirt of your sheikh or ustad, like I have several, of several, <laughs> right? Or you keep something like that, similar, so it has a sakina min rabbikum. This is our understanding of this ayah. Okay? Min haythu annahum awliya'ullah. The barakah and sakina was there because of their qurbat Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright. إِنَّ فِي ذَلَكَ لَآيَةً And in that indeed there is a sign, لَكُمْ for you. So in what? In this whole trunk and the things that are in it, right? This is mentioning, right? That for those, for that community of Bani Israel which was not happy. What was the sign that the angels came and they gave that trunk to Talut? So that was a sign that Allah Ta'ala is conferring the rule upon him because he is being the one being given these sacred relics, if you will, to use that term, of Sayyidina Musa Islam and Sayyidina Harun Islam. In Kuntum Mu'mineen, if you were believers, you would understand that. Alright. Now when Sayyidina, uh, not a prophet, sorry, when Talut, the leader, and his... Okay, what's coming up next is now when Talut takes his army. So the suggestion is here that these people... When the trunk was given to him, they joined the army, they accepted. So they're going now to do that kital kisabilullah that they wanted to do, right? And when between them and their enemy is a river that they have to cross. Okay. Here, Qala, Qala refers to Talut. So Talut tells them that indeed know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who tests you. He's going to test you by means of this river. 
What was the test? So he told all of those people in the army that whomsoever drinks from this river, فَلَيْسَ minni, He will not be of me. Alright. وَمَنْ لَمْ يَتْأَمْهُ فَإِنَّهُ مِنِّي And that person who doesn't, and here now the word is eat from it. It's a little bit different. This is also one of the intricacies of Qur'an. The first word was شَرِبَ Whomsoever even drinks from it will not be from me. And that person who doesn't eat it or consume it means again drink it, drink from the water of the river, then that person will be of me. Alright. إِلَّا مَنْ اِخْتَرَفَ غُرْفَةً بِيَدِهِ Except for that person who drinks easy translations, drinks a handful, a scoopful. Literally means that person who scoops up a scoopful with his hand and drinks it. Right? So it means that there was permission. Okay, you could drink a little bit of the water, or none at all, you will still be with Talut. But otherwise, if you drink more than that, you won't be one of this. Now what happened? فَشَرِبُوا مِنْهُ إِلَّا kalila. Means شَرِبُوا مِنْهُ They all drank from the water of that river, إِلَّا كَلِيلَ minu, Except a few people from amongst them. Now it makes us think that if Talut said that if you disobey one ruling, فَلَيْسَ minni, We should also think that if we disobey one command of Allah subhanahu ta'ala, one command of Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu we should be in danger of the engagement. He will look at us and say, فَلَيْسَ minni, Because our Nabi is Imam al-Anbiya wa Mursalin. He is ahaq. He is more rightfully to say this sentence that if you disobey even one thing that I have left behind you, فَلَيْسَ minni. He is more rightful than Talut to say this thing. Right? Makes us think these are lessons for us to learn from the stories of people gone past. فَلَمَّا جَاوَزَ And then when they crossed and traversed that river, huwa means their Nabi, وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا مَهُ And those who believed with him, i.e. those who didn't drink, right? And here it's a bit unclear exactly what happens. I've looked in different tafsir, give all types of details. What happens to the one who drank? Are they still believing? They also crossed. It's a bit unclear, so I don't want to say anything that I can, I'm not yet myself even settled about definitively. So those people, the Aladdin Amun are the ones who crossed the river, and they said, so they apparently crossed the river, they made it that far, then what do they say? That we have no strength. This Urdu word you have taqat comes from this Arabic word taqa. La taqat alana yawma. We have no strength today. Bi jalut. Now jalut is the name of, that we had mentioned yesterday, of the leader of the enemy, the English, biblical English term is Goliath. Alright? Okay. So we have no strength to face Jalut Ujunudhi and his armies on this day. Now, But those amongst them, few who were well aware and expected and they felt that one day they are going to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they said, in contrast to the first group that said we don't have the strength, they said, That how many times has it been that a small contingent has triumphed the military over a large group. Means to the Madad and Nusrat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is also a sentence that is used, bi-idhnillah, due to the idhn and the permission and the will and decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is also an oft-used sentence to describe jihad when you are facing a superior military might or technology. 
Wallahu ma'as-sabirin. And Allah sponsors the people of sabr. Here again, I did for you two days ago what sabr is. Sabr means fortitude, steadfastness, perseverance on what is right. Allah subhanahu will send his ma'iyat with such people and grant them triumph. Now when they came in front of or appeared in front of Jalut and his armies, so this group went ahead and said, let's go, right? When they appeared in front of Jalut and his armies, قَالُوا Now this is the dua of jihad. At least learn the dua of jihad. It's in Quran. What did they say? When they came and they appeared in front of Jalut and his armies, and this was a group that was small in number, Few in number. They're saying their clue. What was the dua they made? Rabbana afrib alayna sabrao wa thabbit aqdamana wansurna al-qawmil kafirin. This is a dua we should learn and pray. Quranic dua. Right? Islamic dua. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bestow upon us, you know, sabr, give us steadfastness and fortitude and make us strong. Wa thabbit aqdamana. Literally make our feet firm but Make us firm and steadfast, and send your special help and assistance to us versus the community of the unbelievers. Fahazamuhum You know, and I can't say this, how can I say Fahazamuhum. They routed them. They routed them. They defeated them. They destroyed them. They slammed them. فَهَزَمُوهُمْ بِإِذْنِ اللَّهِ They routed them with the permission of Allah subhanahu Who? Aggressors, transgressors, wrongdoers. Right? Okay. But one thing that now Allah subhanahu mentions, one highlight of that battle. Highlight. وَقَتَلَ دَعُودُ So Sayyidina Dawood was also a Nabi. So you have the unnamed Nabi, you have the Amir Talut, you have the enemy leader Jalut, Goliath, right? And now you have Sayyidina Dawood who was young at that time, and he was serving as a soldier in the art and the leadership under Talut. So he killed Jalut. There's a lot of detail that is given in the books of Tafsir. Some of it is what we call Israeliyat, that are taken from biblical and Torah narratives. And here, those are things that a lot of you know. And Allah subhanahu wa bestowed upon him the mulk, and as Allah subhanahu wa then made Sayyidina Dawood the next ruler and king of this community after Talut. Alright. Well, hikmatan Allah subhanahu wa bestowed upon him wisdom. This is the way Allah subhanahu wa is with his anbiya, and he taught him from whatever he wished, right? From the treasures of his knowledge. <coughs> Now here, after all of these ayat of kital and katal and jihad that we have done, here Allah subhanahu is mentioning the hikmah of jihad. Why is it that you must sometimes fight aggression and transgressors to eliminate fitna? Why? That if it was not the case, if not for Allah subhanahu wa check on people by means of other people, the earth would be corrupt. The earth would be corrupt. So it means when this doesn't happen, when fitna and fasad is not fought and eradicated, then you will have corruption all over earth. This is what we are facing. Alright? 
But Allah sent His fuzzle and His grace and generosity on all of the worlds. Tilka ayatullahi natluha alayka bil haqqi wa innaka lamin al-mursaleen That these are the ayat, the verses of revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we recite them alayka to you, O beloved Nabiya Kareem sallallahu bil haqq with absolute truth and veracity wa innaka and indeed you, Prophet sallallahu al-mursaleen are amongst the prophets. What does that mean? Here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is addressing the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa and for time immemorial all people and also that community that look, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa had no way of knowing these things. He was ummi. He did, how would he have ever known these things that are mentioned in your scriptures about the story of Talut and Jalut and Dawud al-Islam and all of that. So the fact that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa is receiving this revelation and reciting this revelation, bil haq is a sign and a proof that indeed, وَإِنَّكَ لَمِنُ الْمُرْسَلِينَ That indeed Sayyidina Rasulullah is from amongst the Prophets. Now when that came, the next now we're beginning uh, the third juz, now Allah SWT is going to talk about Prophets and prophecy and prophethood. Okay. These are the prophets. And Allah Ta'ala is saying is we have bestowed a fadila, we have preferred some of them over others. And from amongst those who were preferred over others, Man are those kallam Allahum Allah SWT spoke with. So that is number one, Sayyidina Musa Islam, Kalimullah. But also Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi on the Miraj, Allah SWT spoke to him. وَرَفَعَ بَعْضُهُمْ darajat, And in certain of them, we have raised them even more and more darajat. So what does this mean? There are different ayat and another one is going to come later. Some suggest that we believe in all the prophets equally. Some suggest that there is some preference over one another. So what does this mean? This means there are two separate things. One is in terms of our iman. In terms of iman, we believe in all the we believe equally in all the prophets. Not that we believe them to be equal to one another. We believe equally in all the prophets. In other words, it means that as much yaqeen as we have that Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu was a prophet of Allah subhanahu we have equally same amount of yaqeen that Sayyidina Musa was a prophet of Allah subhanahu and that's again, I did this one or two days ago, this is why the Anbiya are going to call, all the previous Anbiya will call this Ummah, one of the reasons why the previous Anbiya will call this Ummah to testify to their Nubuwa. However, Allah SWT is saying in Qur'an that some have been preferred over one another. This Fazilat has two ways. One is what in Arabic we call Min Wajhin, which means that some have been preferred over others in certain respects. So for example, Sayyidina Nuh is mentioned in Qur'an as having lived 950 years. So if you want to take that in that sense, I wouldn't say preferred, but in that sense he was granted something that the Prophet was not granted, right? A long life, extremely long life. Or you can say that Sayyidina Sulaiman was given mulk, dominion and rule and sovereignty as a worldly ruler. There were, some say the whole world or a large segment of that world at that time. So in that sense, he has been given a certain puzzle that Nabiya Karim was not given. So this is known as min wajah. 
that in certain specific respects, there have been previous prophets who may have been granted certain things, that Sayyidina Sallallahu was not granted those particular things. But there's a second type of fadila which is known as min kulli wajhin. Min kulli wajhin means overall fadila, an overall holistic fadila, and that was given to Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Now some of the Mufassirin actually, especially the Muhaddithin actually, but also Mufassirin have tried to identify this hierarchy of the Prophets. One hierarchy that is given is that obviously Sayyidina Rasulullah is number one, the most afazal. Number two after him is Sayyidina Ibrahim Number three after him is Sayyidina Musa Number four after him is Sayyidina Isa Number five after him is Sayyidina Nuh and these are referred to as Ulul Azam, Anbiya. Ulul Azam means those who were extremely resolute and extremely resolute, extremely devout and extremely resolute Anbiya. But even that place where this Inbudu'at, when we come to it in Quran, it's not necessarily mentioned that order in terms of hierarchy. This was a view of Mufassirin and Muhaddithin that there was this hierarchy. Others have taken the hierarchy that Sayyidina Rasulullah is the most Abzal, then Sayyidina Isa, then Sayyidina Musa, then Sayyidina Ibrahim, then Sayyidina Nuh. Okay? So there are different understandings of hierarchy. Allah Allah But it seems that more of the ulama prefer the first view that Sayyidina Ibrahim is considered to be. The second greatest. For our purposes, it doesn't really make a difference, right? This is that part where Allah Ta'ala is saying that our job is to believe in all of them and love all of them, right? Uh, and believe them all to have been the true lovers of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. And we, Allah Ta'ala saying, we bestowed upon Isa ibn Maryam alayhi salam. Here, every time in Quran, the name of Sayyidina Isa alayhi salam comes, never is the name of his father mentioned. Right? Always, otherwise in the Arabic language, you never do this. You never, you will never say after Ibn, you will never say the mother's name. So this itself is also an ashara to say that Isa had no father whatsoever. We gave Sayyidina Isa al-Bayyinat, clear proofs. وَأَيَدْنَاهُ بِرُوحِ Qudus. Now, Ruhi al-Qudus means Sayyidina Jibreel, the angel Jibreel. This is one of the Christian misconceptions. You see, one of the views of Deen of Islam is three things are clearly separated. Allah Ta'ala, angels, and prophets. And for us, you would say Allah Ta'ala, the angel, Jibreel Islam, and the prophet, Sayyidina Rasulullah Islam, are all viewed as three separate entities. For Christians, acceptingly, the prophet was Sayyidina Islam, and the angel was also Jibreel. But they made a mistake, and they somehow merged these three entities of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the angel, who is also known in Qur'an. So Qur'an, don't think that, oh, maybe Holy Spirit, some kids when they read translations says Holy Spirit, and because they went to Judeo Christian educational system, think, oh, maybe there's like something true to that Christian thing. No, actually one of the names of Jibreel was Ruhul Qudus, even in Christian scripture, so that's one of his names, Holy Spirit, they made a mistake, sometimes they call it Holy Ghost also. Right? So they made this mistake that they joined these three things, prophetic identity, angelic identity, and divine identity into one trinity. That was a mistake they made. Okay? So Biruh al-Qudus is not some Christian influence on Qur'an, or some Christian sentiment appearing in Qur'an. 
Ruha Kudus is one of the names of Sayyidina, or one of the appellations you can say, Al-Qabah, the angel Jibreel. Okay, now Allah Subhanahu is going to explain the philosophy of human history. We started this yesterday as well. That from the time of Sayyidina Adam to Nuh humanity was one ummah. And then they fell into discord. And then they keep falling into discord and so much so that they fight and dispute and sometimes even kill one another. And Allah Subhanahu is saying that a person may ask rationally that why is it that humanity doesn't submit to prophets? So Allah Ta'ala is saying, it wasn't my wish. It was my wish that prophets come. And despite the fact that prophets come, people disagree, have divergent views, dispute with one another, fight with another, and then I keep sending more prophets. So Allah that if it was the if Allah Ta'ala had willed, then you would not, those who had been given the book, you know, those who would come after these prophets, would not have fought between one another, after these clear signs had appeared to them. But instead, because this what, what is the wish of Allah that they will disagree and dispute with one another. And how will that dispute fall? So Allah SWT is saying it's going to fall on two lines. It's a very simple bifurcation in this dispute. فَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ آمَنَ and from amongst those who are disputing and disagreeing, there will be those who have iman, minhum man kafar, and amongst them there will be those who disbelieve. So it's iman and kufr. So what you have to understand is there are two types of differences. One is the differences that result in either being an iman and being a kufr. And then sometimes you will find certain differences within the people of iman, but that is not what's being referred to by these ayat of ikhtilaf. And later on we're going to do a couple of ayats as well that talk about this. And it's very unfortunate again that there's a particular group who uses those ayat that Allah Ta'ala uses on mushrikeen and they pick up kalamullah that is directed on mushrikeen they use it for other Muslims and say you're splitting up into groups and schisms. Here the group and schism means iman versus kufr. To Hanafi, Shafi, Maliki, Hanbali, that's not an iman versus kufr type uh, division. That is schools of legal epistemology. That is usul division. That is not iman and kufr type division. And but Allah, but if Allah Taala had wanted, had it, had Allah Taala so wished, maktatalu they would never have fought. So Allah Taala saying, look, this fighting between people and people disagreeing with prophets and adopting kufr, that's all happening according to the permission and will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's not what He wants, but it's what He's willed. This is the sheer free will and predestination we touched upon a little bit earlier. It's, this is not the right place to do that, but we may do it more later on some other point in Quran. But however, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does what He intends. So if He wanted to, He could have done this. If He wanted to, He could do this. Which one will He do? He does what He wants. He does what He wants. Allah Subhanahu does everything that He wants. Alright. Oh, you believe, now here comes yet another set of rulings that are going back specifically to this issue of spending. Oh, you believe, spend from that which Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala has bestowed upon you, that Allah is speaking from that which we have bestowed upon you from before. 
before that such a day will come to you, la that there will be no trade or commerce in that day, and there will be no friendships that will avail you on that day, and there will be no intercession for you on that day. This I explained yesterday or two days ago, that other eyes have talked about shifa, and there is shifa, but only for those people whom Allah will allow. Means here that Allah Ta'ala is not going to allow shifa for those people who don't spend. Now, spend here then in that sense can be understood to mean zakat, but otherwise the ayah does include spending in sadaqah as well. And the unbelievers are the ones who were unjust. Now comes one of the most famous ayat of Quran al Karim known as Ayat al Kursi. Once Sayyidina Rasulullah was speaking to a Sahaba. And the Sahaba referred to this ayah as ayat, as the greatest ayah of the Quran. And the Prophet said that Allah has guided you to the truth, you have spoken truly. So it means that this ayah is viewed as the greatest ayah of Quran. And the second thing that's going to come today as well, inshallah, is the longest ayah of Quran. So both the greatest ayah and the longest ayah are both in Surah Baqarah. And this itself gives Surah Baqarah a tremendous fazeel. And what is this greatest ayah all about? That greatest Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's an isharatas. So the greatest thing about the teachings of Quran is Allah subhanahu The most important thing to know is Allah subhanahu Deen is all about connecting a person to their Rabb. So Allahu la ilaha illahu. So first thing about Allah subhanahu is that Allah subhanahu alone is that being who is worthy of worship, is a deity, is a God, possesses powers of Godhood and divinity. No other entity or being has any trace of divinity except for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you can say that this is the first aspect is Tawheed. Second, Al-Hayyu. Al-Hayyu means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all living, pre-eternal and eternal, life itself. He is the being who is free of death, ever being dead in the past, ever going to be dead in the future. Even the possibility of any type of death overcoming him, he is entirely free of it. It's life and living incarnate. Al-Qayyum is sometimes translated by people in two ways. The first way, which is normal translation, is self-subsistent. That not only is he life incarnate, but that life was not bestowed by any other entity on Allah subhanahu ta'ala. Allah ta'ala is qa'im bidhati, he is al-qayyum, self-subsistent, he himself is sustaining his life. There is nothing that is sustaining him, he inherently sustains himself. Some take it in a second way that Allah ta'ala is al-qayyum, he is sustaining everything else. That all other life is created, is created and exists and is sustained and maintained by Allah subhanahu ta'ala. But that's a secondary meaning, but both meanings can be understood. So three things. Fourth thing about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Naum means sleep, right? Unconsciousness being unaware. Sarkata. And sinatun means azakarna. <laughs> sinatun means, you can say, brief episode, slumber, we would call it in English. Brief, momentarily lapse, right? So here, because right, a person would think that if you remain awake, right, if you remain awake for two, three days, you'll start, right? Allah subhanahu wa doesn't have that. Nothing tires, it's untiring, that's what it's trying to say. That's what Allah subhanahu wa is saying in the Quran, that he's untiring. 
on full, full, 100% powerful life, unfading, untiring, unrelenting. لا تأخذه does not overcome him. Not any type of slumber. This is by his mouth, but this is by his nakira. No, and not any, in not the slightest slumber does not overtake Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, nor does the slightest sleep ever take him. So you can take these two things together as a fourth thing, number five. Lahu ma samawati wa ma Here the lam is for both ikhtisas and tamlik to solely and exclusively belong to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ma eat and every single thing. Fissamawat and all of the creations that lie above, Wama fil Wama and each and every single thing, fil that lies on this earth. Absolute, complete dominion and sovereignty. Right. And number, was this the sixth thing or seventh thing Allah SWT saying? Mandaladi yashfa'u indahu illa bi idnihi. Then who is there, who is it? Who would ever be allowed to do shifa'a, to intercede for somebody in the who, in the court of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, illa bi'ithnihi, except with the permission of Allah that there will be people whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give that idha. Otherwise, especially given the context of ayatul kursi, in which all other things, you mean in baqi chapchizun ki nafi ke jahariya kamilan, to agar shifa'at nahi hota, to yabi ayat ka Andaz or Asloob ko yehi sachta hota Agar shafaat nahi hota to uske bhi kaman nafiyan ki jai Illa bi'ithnihi ki zhurut nahi thai Some people like to say that no illa bi'ithni means doesn't mean anything because Allah is not going to give permission But they don't understand the style of this verse of Quran, let me explain in English Is negating all of these things No sleep, no slumber, nothing lies outside the dominion of Allah So if it were the case that no one will have the right of shafaa So the Sha'an, the, 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 the rhetoric, the style of this ayah should have been that it would have stopped like that. It wouldn't have said, illa bi'idni. But because Allah Ta'ala are reaching such a height of explaining the things that won't happen, but shafa'ah was so important that you had to know shafa'ah exists, so even in the full might and power of the a'adham, the greatest ayah in Qur'an, ayatul kursi, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had to carve out this thing, illa bi'idni. Why? Because it's being carved out for who? A'adham al-makhluk, a'adham al-anbiya wal-mursaleen, rahmatul al-adameen, Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Means that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his pre-eternal kalam, even in Lohul Mahfuz, was making bayan of his sha'an, his majesty and glory in Ayatul Kursi, he remembered Rahmatul Al-Alameen and his shifa and included him in this ayat. Allahu Akbar Kameera. Foolish are those who deny the shifa. It's in Ayatul Kursi. Illa bi'ithnihi Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. يَعْلُمُ مَا بَيْنَ أَيْدِيهِمْ Next thing about Allah SWT, that Allah SWT knows everything, that what is before them, وَمَا خَلْفَهُمْ and what will come after them. What they have done and what they will do. Right? وَلَا يُهِيتُونَ بِشَيْءٍ مِّنْ إِلْمِهِ And they, يُهِيتُونَ still those same they, whom Allah SWT knows everything about them, means all of makhluk, but means for us all of Annas and specifically more personally all Mu'mineen. 
that there is nothing, they do not encompass even a single drop or iota min ilmihi of the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alright. But, again, now you saw, as I highlighted this for you before, let me show you again. Remember when Sayyidina Dawud was given the ilm and he's a Nabi, so what did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? Right? Just came into verse 252. Right? How, what were the Arabic words that Allah Ta'ala used to describe revelation coming on a Prophet? وَأَلَّمَهُ مِمَّا yasha That Allah Subhanahu bestows ilm upon them from whatsoever He wills. So this is going to be an ishara on wa'i of nubuwat. So again, when Allah Subhanahu was in His sha'an addressing that, because He alone is Al-Aleem, that all of His creation, including all Anbiya Mursaleen and Nabi Kareem Awalan, Including that none of them have any iota of drop of the ilm of Allah subhanahu wa illa bima sha'a, except that which Allah subhanahu wa wills to bestow upon them. So here again, Allah ta'ala is carving out in his ayat of kursi the concept of nubuwat and risala, the concept of wahi and kitab. So as much important it is a sha'an of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he is one, tawheed, la ilaha illahu. Equally important of the sha'an of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that He sends Anbiya and Mursaleen and that He sends Kitab and Wahi upon them. Kitab and Wahi, Kitab and Hikmah, Kitab and Sunnah upon them. Now here is that word, Kursi, due to which this ayat has been named Ayat al Kursi. Now I wondered and I couldn't, I, I didn't, I'm sure. Guaranteed, some of us here must have written this, but I didn't have enough research time because I was sitting with you guys till 3 a.m. last night to find it, right, for today. But why was this ayah called Ayatul Kursi? Out of all of the different words that are mentioned here. Perhaps, perhaps one reason, so this I'm not, this I'm not read this for any of us, but perhaps one reason was that everything else was about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and their to in insan ki bas bine Allah ta'ala ki kisi ke zatis in sifat me se koin lafz chunle is ayat ko naam rakhne ke liye it would be beyond the human mufassir to pick a word right and say it's ayat you know ayat al-hay or ayat al-kayyum it would be too much for them the weight of this ayat because there are people who felt the thaqil quran on their heart right but kursi seem because kursi is khair Allah right kursi is makhluk Kursi is makhluk. Now the first word in this ayat is talking about some type of makhluk. Another reason it may be, this, this is what is mentioned in the is what is the kursi? Okay. Kursi means, it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not sitting on a chair. Alright? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not have any bodily form. He is a transcendent being. لا مكان له لا زمان له لا جهت له لا مثل له He is beyond space, beyond time, beyond spatiality, beyond physicality, beyond direction, beyond tense, beyond gender. He transcends all of these categories and concepts. هو وراء الوراء ثم وراء الوراء ثم وراء الوراء كرسيه then كرسي is viewed to be a kinaya or a metaphor for his dominion. Because when you say, you say the king rules from his throne, right? And sometimes you say the throne of the king extends over his kingdom. You say that in English. Europeans say this type of thing. 
that the throne of the king extends over his whole kingdom. So what Allah SWT is saying is that Allah SWT's milkiyat, his being malik, extends, wasi'a, extends and expands over what? As-samawati wal-ard, all of creation, all of the creation that lies above, and all of the creation that is on this earth. That's all it means. That's all it means. وَلَا يُعُودُهُ هِفْلُهُمَا And his hifl, his preservation and guarding over it and sustaining it, وَلَا يُعُودُهُ doesn't tire Allah Ta'ala in any way. And this Allah Ta'ala for us, this is now Allah Ta'ala is explaining this part of the ayah, is that ayah that Allah Ta'ala is explaining to us at a human level of understanding. That's why maybe the Mufassir felt, okay, we go out of Kursi. Because a human being thinks, Okay, Allah Ta'ala, wow, it's a big job. And so you think, you're running the whole world. Maybe Allah Ta'ala gets tired. So Allah Ta'ala is explaining in a human level of understanding, his sha'am, that running the whole world doesn't tire him a drop. This is nothing. That's his level of might and power. Right? Okay, Ali. Again, it does not literally mean that Allah Ta'ala has direction. I'll be honest with you, that is a minority opinion. There have been some and some very great and rightly guided ulama who held that opinion, but it was a very small minority. And as I explained yesterday, that we always take the scholarly opinion that passes peer review. That's what Ahlussunnah wal Jama'ah is. We look at the scholarly consensus. If there's no consensus, we look at the scholarly community. We don't follow the tafarrudat and infidelat of an individual scholar. Alright? Individual or few. And what does aliyu mean? Very simple word I can give you in English, the exalted. So rather than the high in terms of a directional sense, al-aliyu means his aliyu sha'an. He's exalted, his sha'an is exalted. And al-adim, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is almighty and is great. Okay, so here is Ayat al-Kursi. In one of these, the, uh, there are many things that one could talk about. Hear more to explain rather than tell you the fazila, but just so you know, one in one of the one of the fazila, one of the virtues that comes about the kursi is if you recite ayatul kursi, ayatul kursi over something, then that will be in hifaz. Whether you park your car and recite ayatul kursi over it, you should still lock it. You must make the sabab to trigger that hifaza, but then when you recite ayatul kursi on it, then that car will be placed in hifaz. Alright? There's a long hadith that mentions about this. I'm not going to tell you the whole hadith, but this is enough for you to know. Alright. So that amal, that's a fully sahirith by the way. So that amal of reciting ayatul kursi over your home or your children is completely jayat, ayni sunnah, ayni deen, ayni qur'an. Alright? And why is that? It's because of the nisbat of this word, hifduhuma. You see this nisbat of those ayat that are used as du'as, there's some nisbat, there's some meaning in that verse. So this batwagini about hifadah, hifduhuma. Alright? Okay. La ikraha fiddeen. It's another very famous ayah. That there is no compulsion in the deen. Now first let me explain to you what we call the Sha'na Nazul. The occasion in which this ayah was revealed. And explain to you the meaning of this. Number one. That what happened was. The original. Sha'na Nazul means the original occasion of revelation. Not that any ayah of the Quran is to be confined to that. It always has a broader meaning and universal lesson. Original occasion of revelation was that. In Medina Manamra. Before Sayyidina Rasulullah migrated there, before they became Muslim, they were also mushrikeen. Alright? And the mushrikeen of Medina, and I remember that there were these two groups, Aus and Khazraj, right? 
and the Jews too tried for living there, Banu Qurayza and Banu Nadir, they had respect for the Jews. The Jews had this certain status over them, right? And what they would do sometimes is there was, a, in particular, there was one very respected Jewish scholar among them, but even it may apply to a few other of their scholars. So the mushrikeen of Makkah used to sometimes, when their wives were pregnant and they wanted to save pregnancy, or for some any other reason, they used to make what is called a nazar, or in Urdu you call it manat. They would make a pledge to Allah Taala on what? That when and their children were born, they would send their children for some type of tarbiyah type thing to those Jew, to that particular Jewish scholar or maybe to certain Jewish scholars. Okay. When Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu migrated to Medina Munawwara and these people in Medina, they became Muslimin, Sahaba Ikram, Ansar. There were some of them who had already, prior to their accepting Islam, had sent some of their children to this Jewish scholar. Then, it's a long episode in Sirah, but there was a time when the Jews were expelled from the Manorah. When the Jews were expelled from the Manorah, those children of these Madani Sahaba now, who were with those Jews, so the Madani Sahaba wanted to force their children to stay back. But some of those children chose that they wanted to go with their, you can call them now, foster parents in some sense. And they're not children, you can call them teens, they were bothered, right? Young, young adults. So this ayah came down, La ikraha fid And actually, yes, those young adults, who although they were biologically children of those people in Medina Manawara who were now Sahaba ikram, but who had been placed by those same Sahaba before they accepted Islam under the care of those Jews, Allah Ta'ala revealed that you cannot force them. If those young adults want to stay with those, that's what they said, we want to stay with them. We also go, we leave Medina with them. We want to stay with them, we don't want to come back to our parents. The suggestion is that they adopted the Jewish religion. Not from Islam, they were mushrik. The kids were mushrik, then they became Jewish. The parents were mushrik, became Muslim, right? So, la ikraha fiddin, you can't forcibly stop them. And this is a big thing. Imagine you're a sahaba, you're a madani sahaba, you were ansar, your dream would be that your young adult 16-year-old son should become Muslim. You had made a mistake before you accepted Islam, you sent it to the Jews. Now you find out that your 16-year-old son wants to stay with the Jews. You That's what you would feel, right? Look at Allah You can't force them. That's what they want. That's what they want. And remember, there's not Murtad. They were never Muslim. They were never Muslim. This is in and of itself, the Shana Nuzul shows you that indeed, actually, this is the perfect wording for this ruling, there is no compulsion religion. So much so that the Madani Sahaba have to let their young adult children, if they wish to choose to remain with the Jews and be exiled and expelled from Medina, the Madani Sahaba cannot force their young adults to stay, they have to watch them go with the Jews, their own children. Madani Sahaba's own children. Allah. Alright? And generally I will tell you that also jihad is not done to force a person to convert to Islam. It's not done for that reason. Why is it done? That I've already explained to you earlier. Previous days. And one, I make addition to that is also to let the Muslims be free in their religion. For the Muslims to remove any ikra and fitna and their following all the ahkam of their deen. All the ikam of their deen, this is called ikamat al-deen, ilah ikalimat Allah. But it's not done to force anyone else. It may be done to force our own freedom of religion, 
but it's not done to force someone else to convert to Islam. Alright? Okay. Why is there no compulsion? Because Allah Ta'ala said that indeed the bayyina, again the shadda, right? Absolutely clear has become a rush, true guidance, min al from falsehood and error. So it means people now are able and equipped to make a choice. There's no need to force them. There's no need to force because there's a choice. Alright. Now, ta'hud uh, is a word that comes from tuhyan. Tuhyan means disobedience. Most commentators take this to mean shaitan or shayateen. A few of them have said that it means idols. Right? Okay. That person, either way, that person just believes by means of their shirk and believing idols or due to the whisperings and tricks of shaitan. And then takes Iman in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Fakat istamsaka. Notice Allah is giving a choice and now saying what happens if you make the right choice. So then that person has grabbed steadfast to Ulwatul Wuthka. Wuthka, those of you who know Sul Hadith, Thika, Tawthik, it's the same root, Wuthka. Right? Wuthka means that that person is most, that Urwa, that rope and that way that is most reliable, most dependable. You can think like a simple example, when you're riding the bus, you grab onto the handle, right? Right? When you grab onto that, you're not going to be shaken. That's what Urbatul Muska is. Okay. Lan fisamalaha, that there is no breaking. This is la nafijins. There is no possibility of any type of crack, fissure, breaking, collapse. Laha in that Urbatul Muska that is called Iman. Wallahu Sameer Aleem and indeed Allah does all this thing and all knowing what you do. Allah Wali Ladina Amanu Yuk Ijahuminadulamati in the Nur that Allah's Falta is the Wali of those who believe. Wali. Here the Mashah say, and this you've heard me say many times, right? That Allah Ta'ala should have said, Waladina Aumanu Awliya Allah. Allah Ta'ala said, No, you take Imam, I become your wali. Allah Ta'ala is the protecting friend and lover of those who believe. Here's also a nukta in the Arabic. Zulamat is plural. Nur is singular. Allah Ta'ala will take them out from many and manifold sins and darknesses and deviances of which all kinds exist and bring them ila nur. And one of his names is also an-nur. Bring them to the holistic, singular, perfect paradigm light of the deen of Islam. If they have iman. And those who choose to disbelieve and especially the atheistic disbelievers, right? Who are their awliya? They don't have Allah Ta'ala's awliya. They will have ta'ud again, either idols or the shayateen. And what, do, what happens to them by means of those idols or shayateen? The opposite. They're taken away from the possibility of nur because they choose to adopt kufr into all types of darknesses, all types of societal illnesses, all types of depressions, all types of abnormalities, all types of depravities and deprivations. Zulamat. Thurah. And these will be the companions of Jahannam. Their awliya are the Satans and Idols and they themselves are the friends of Jahannam. Hum fiha khalidun and they will dwell there in forever. Alright, next ayat are talking about an incident. You would know that Sayyidina Ibrahim salam, he engaged in a debate with the ruler of his time, whose name isn't mentioned here, but you know it to be Nimrud. Okay? Alam tara illa ladhi haja Ibrahima 
that do you not look upon, do you not reflect upon, learn and lesson from the incident of that person who disputed, disputed with Sayyidina Ibrahim Salaam, that was Nimrud, right? And they were disputing about the existence of Allah Firabi'i concerning his love. An Mulka. So what happened was Nimrud felt that Allah, this I told you, don't think Allah Ta'ala gave you the ruler. Just because you're a ruler. He felt that Allah Ta'ala has given me rule. And this is a feature of the kings of the past and even some of the present. They think that they, being God is, being a king is like being God. That's what they think. They think being king is like being a God. So, what did Sayyidina Ibrahim Salaam say to him? The Rabbi Aladi Yuki we meet that my Rabb is that being Ibrahim Sultan, I've got a perfect way to explain to him how Allah Ta'ala is Rabb and you are not Rabb, that my Allah Ta'ala causes brings things to life and also brings death upon things. So what did this fellow do? What this fellow did in Nimrud, what he did is he just told his soldiers, just random guy off the street who was completely innocent, killed him. And then there was a criminal who was going was sentenced for capital punishment, he freed him. Somebody who should have lived, he just killed him. And somebody who was, had been sentenced to death, he freed him. So then he responded to them and said, God, so Nimrud said to him, Ana umit, I also bring to life and I can cause people to live and cause people to die. Don't you see the guy who was walking, I killed him, I caused him to die. And the guy who was just about, was about to be executed for some crime, I pardoned him and I caused him to live. So now saying Ibrahim Sarvias, he said, Tiramasla. This guy is not going to understand. <laughs> right? So now I have to explain to him in a way in which he's not going to be able to respond. So then Qal Ibrahim, Sayyidina Ibrahim Islam responded, فَإِنَّ What did he say in the beginning? Right? What did he say in the beginning? If Qal Ibrahim, Rabbi, my Rabb. Now Allah ka ism azam ism jalala ka now he goes to Nabu and says, Inna Allah, hmm? Inna Allah yakti bi shamsi min al-mashriki fa'ti biha min al-magrib. Allah subhanahu wa brings the sun, causes the sun to rise from the earth's perspective of the horizon from the east. Why don't you cause it to rise from the west? فَبُهِتَ الَّذِي kafar, And he was confounded. Lajwab, confounded, placed in a dilemma, confused, unable to respond. Alladhi kafar, again referring to Nimrud, the one who had disbelieved. Now whether the rational argument confounded him, or the innallaha from the lub of Sayyidina Ibrahim confounded him, that's up to how much maza you want to take. Alright? Okay. Wallahu la yahdi, latil qawmul dhalimin. And Allah sponsor does not guide an unjust community. Unjust community. Al-Qawm can be referring to Nimrud himself, but Al-Qawm also means that whole community who was following him. That community who wishes themselves to treat their king like a god, who wishes to believe their king to be a god. You have some of them here. Right? Right? Some of them may think that the guy in London or maybe is here these days, I don't know, if they wish to view their leader as a god, Allah SWT doesn't guide such a community. Doesn't guide such a Okay, now here comes another incident. Another very good example that there's no explanation of this in any Sahih No explanation of what this incident is and who this person was in any Sahih whatsoever. And again, the Mufassir write a lot 
gathering different pieces from different places to be able to explain and understand and draw lessons from this passage. So, oh, it means an and do you not learn, reflect upon, take lesson from. That person, Marra ala karitin, who passed by a village, it was in ruins and collapsed on its foundations. Literally, it means ceiling, but it means it was completely ruined, collapsed down to its foundations. Derelict town, right? Shanty town. Calls that person who passed by that, he said, Anna How is it that Allah Spanto revived this area? Ba'dimotiha, after this area has died and was fallen to ruin. So, what did Allah Spanto do? This person wondered at Allah Ta'ala's capability to do something. So, what happened? Fa'amatahullah. Allah Ta'ala made that guy go to. Enter a state of death, cause him to die. Mi'ata amin, and kept him in that state for a hundred years. Thumma ba'athahu, and then resurrected him. When he resurrected him, qala, Allah Ta'ala addressed him, kam nabithta, how long did you remain in this state? Qal nabithtu, he said that I feel I stayed like this for a day, or ba'aliyom, or part of a day. Qal, Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala said, bal nabithta mi'ata am, but no, you were like this for one hundred years. Fandur ila ta'amid, and go look at your foods. Apparently, maybe this the Khanlagat he was about to eat. Washarabika. Lam yitasanna, the years have not passed over them, literally. It means that they haven't decayed, they haven't spoiled. Look, your food and drink, if it was my command, I can sustain life. Your food and drink is as fresh as it was, even though hundred years have passed. You, I suspended life and resurrected you, you're at the same age you were, but you've been sleeping in a way or death coma for hundred years. And look at that, wonder ila himadik, and go look at your donkey. This is a complete, it's in a skeleton. It was a corpse, a rotted skeleton. So I made the hundred years pass on him. I suspended you, and I suspended your food and drink. Allah Ta'ala controls everything. Alright? وَلِنَّجْ alaka ayatan لِلنَّاسِ And we want to make you a sign for humanity. Oh, so here comes the bone part. Wonder ila idhamis, and look at those bones of that donkey. Look how we can raise them and then we can adorn them. Kaswa literally means clothes. Look how we can adorn them with flesh and meat. And then when this became clear to that person, now he saw all of this, he's gone through this whole process. Right? So what did that person say? Aqlamu, now I know, Allah ala kulli shayin kathir, that indeed Allah subhanahu wa has power over every single thing. According to some books of tafsir, who was that person? That person was Sayyidina Uzair alayhi salam. And this is the incident that led to one group of Jews to the belief that he was the son of Allah. That's also coming later in Quran, that the Jews believe that Sayyidina Uzair is the son of Allah. Because what happened that he was gone for a hundred years, right? And because Allah Ta'ala did this in a ruined town, nobody was passing by there either. So he came back all of a sudden after a hundred years. They were stunned. They were stunned. And one of his signs that is mentioned in those books of the series that he had memorized the Torah. So to prove to them who he was, because they said that that person, you know, you can't be him, rationally speaking, right? Rationally speaking. <laughs> you can't be him, because there's a hundred more than a years have passed. So he recited that Torah. He was the only Hafiz at that time. So he recited it from memory. So when he recited it from memory, they realized it was him and they start feeling he's the son of Allah. Like they were so mesmerized by that fact that he's come back from a hundred years, 
not having aged at all, first of all, not having aged at the same age that our forefathers said he must have disappeared, right? This incident is what made them come to the correct belief that he was a son of Allah. Allahu Allah. Where the call you know, and explain to you why you need to try to understand, because the Quran is the book of Hidayah, right? So if you say, I will only use Sahih Adith and Bukhari Muslim, you believe this ambiguous, then how will you understand what is going, what Allah is trying to convey to us in Quran? Right? Okay. Going back to Sayyidina Ibrahim salam, because now this is a the rub between these ayat, it has to do with Allah being the giver and causer of life and death and resurrecting whatever so way he wants. With Qala Ibrahim, it's a very famous incident that Sayyidina Ibrahim salam, told Allah SWT, Oh Allah, show me how is it that you bring the dead back to life. Allah SWT responded to him that, Awalam tu'min, Allah SWT is addressing his Nabi, Awalam tu'min, you don't have iman? You don't believe I can bring the death back to life? So Sayyidina Rasulullah said, Allah bala, no, 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 Allah, definitely, 100%, of course I believe. But I just want to get some itmananikal. What does this mean? This is called al-mushahadatu ba'd al-iman. That I have the iman built right? But I'm curious. Why did this happen, right? This didn't happen. This is not a sign of the weakness of the faith of Sayyidina Rasulullah. Sayyidina Ibrahimus was khalil. So, kabhi jabab kisi ki yaar hote na, aap yaare ki naate koi nijji baati poochnate na. So, Sayyidina Ibrahimus was khalil Allah. Because he was so close to Allah's fault, I thought, you know, let me just see. I'd like to say, I'm curious, curious. My iman is not dependent on this. My yakin is not dependent on this. The strength of my iman is not dependent. Strength is not dependent on it. I'm just curious. I'd like to see. Okay. My heart would get itminan. What does that mean? Right? My heart would get itminan. You see, the more and more ilm you have about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the more you have itminan in your heart. Okay? Alright. Oh, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, okay, this is what you're going to do. Allah ta'ala chooses a process by which to show this to Sayyidina Muslim. That go and get four birds. Some books of Hadith suggest that there were different types of birds. I can't even remember. Crow, pigeon, different types of birds. Sparrow, right? Either way, four birds. فَصُرْهُنَّ إِلَيْكَ And you should call them or whistle them to you, right? As people must know how to call birds to them. By making sound by which they will be called to you. ثُمَّ أَجْعَلْ عَلَى كُلِّ جَبَلًا مِنْهُنَّ جُزْءًا That you should put a piece of them on each of these four hills. So the understanding here is that he must have killed them. Call them to you. Kill them. Cut them up into pieces. Take a piece of each and every one of them. Call them to you. Kill them. Cut them into pieces. And place just a piece, not the whole corpse. Place a piece of each of those four birds on each of these four different mountains or hills. Alright? Okay. Then, ثُمَّ أُهُنَّ Then call them again to you. So maybe again make that bird whistle. which they responded to when they were alive, but they're not going to rationally be able to respond to now. Alright. What you will say, يَأْتِينَكَ سَعْيًا They will come to you rushing. Means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just re-merged their bodies from the scattered pieces instantly and made them fly again to say the Means that Allah ta'ala showed him that I do just like this. Just like that. What you thought was not possible, non-rational, that how could it happen? That's exactly how I'm going to do it. 
I'm going to just take the people and put their pieces together and bring them back to form and put them in front of me. That's it. Okay. وَأَعْلَمْ أَنَّ اللَّهَ أَزِيزٌ حَكِيمٌ Now that I've shown you, now that I've indulged you, know that Allah SWT is almighty and all-wise. Right. Now Allah SWT is talking about those returning back to this theme of spending in the path of Allah SWT. The likeness of those who spend their wealth in the path of Allah SWT is like the seed that it sprouts or grows into seven ears. This is a particular term of wheat. And in every year, you can say every sort of, I don't know how you would call it, in Urdu, but every year, and every year there is 100 kernels. So it means basically 700 times multiplication. That for every dollar, everything you spend, there will be 700 times multiplication. Wallahu, yudha'ifu liman yasha, and Allah SWT can multiply it, and some of us have said even further beyond 700, liman yasha for whomsoever he wills. Wallahu wasiyun alim, and Allah SWT is all encompassing, all embracing, alimun all knowing. Now, in the next few ayahs, Allah SWT is going to talk about those things that can spoil your amal. As if you give money for the path of Allah SWT, but your intention isn't pure, or you have some other reason, some adulteration in your emotions, that can actually spoil your act. Those who in fact indeed spend their wealth in the path of Allah SWT. Thumma. Thumma means, you have different words, wa, fa, and thumma. Thumma comes for tarahi means after. So it means, and after having spent their wealth in the path of Al-Sfata, la yutbi'una, they do not follow up that spending of wealth, manfaku, mannan, mannan means making an asam, boasting over it, right? Wala adhan, and they don't cause any harm or hurt to anyone. Lahum ajruhum in the rabbihim, those people will have the reward with their love. And no, no fear shall be upon them, and neither shall they grieve over it in any way. A proper, appropriate, noble word and sentence. And being forgiven on one another, is even better than that charity, than that charity, that you follow that charity with harm. And as you give somebody some money, but then up in you try to take some benefit from them, you hold it over them, right? You have an Islam, you hold it over them, you make them feel that they're indebted to you, you make them feel that they're beholden to you, you brag or boast about it to others. So it would have been better in that case that you didn't give that person that charity, and it would have been better that if you even just spoken to them nicely. That's what Allah SWT said. Wallahu ghaniyun. And know that Allah SWT is all independent. He doesn't need you to give charity to people. Halimun. And Allah Ta'ala is also forbearing. He will not immediately call you to account and punish you for your sins. O you who believe, la tuktulu sadaqatakum. Do not make your charities batil. Do not render them null and void. Do not remove the sawab from them. Bil manni wal ada. Same thing by doing ihsan on others, by causing harm to others. Such as that person, Yunfaku Maduhu, who spends his money, Ra an Nasi. This is Ra. Ra an Nasi in Ra showing off to people. Showing off to people. 
Right? Or in such a way that you don't believe in Allah SWT and you don't believe in the Day of Judgment. So look what's being look what's being linked here. Look how strong words Allah Ta'ala is talking about Riyah. Doing Riyah and an act of Ibadah, which is Sadaqah, spending money for the path of Allah SWT, but you do it with the need to show, display, ostentation, boasting, and bragging. What is, what is the, the sentence Allah Ta'ala followed this up with? La yu'minu billahi wal yawmil akhir. As if that's what it means. It's not saying you're an atheist, but you're, do, you're doing it to show off in front of people as if you don't believe in Allah Taala and the Day of Judgment. فَمَثَلَهُ So the example of this person who gave sadaqah but gave it in riyah كَمَثَلِ safwan. So safwan is a big rock, like a boulder. Alright? Alayhi, well not such a big, that's hajr is a big rock as a boulder. Safwan is a rock, but not a pebble, but a good sized rock. Alayhi turabun. There is some dust or earth on it. فَأَصَابُهُ وَابِلٌ Wawa means torrential rain, rain shower, comes on that rock. So what happens? فَتَرَكَهُ salda. It leaves that rock empty of that dust. Right? So what does it mean that the person, they gave the charity, they got the sawab, but their riyah wipes, obliterates that sawab, just like the torrential rain obliterates any trace of dust on the rock. That's what Allah Ta'ala said. Got it? Alright. La yakduruna, they have no ability ala shay'in, mimma kasabu, they have no ability on anything from that which they do and earn. And wallahu la yahdil qawmul kafirin, early said zalimin, here same sentence but not kafirin, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not guide the community of those who disbelieve, or here it can be viewed as those who are ungrateful to his blessings. So this is also ingratitude. In other words, don't think that gratitude is just giving charity. If you give charity but with riyadh, that's also ungrateful. Gratefulness and gratitude and being appreciative of the bounties of Allah subhanahu wa when you give them away, means that you don't do any asana and don't cause anybody harm. مَمَثُلُ الَّذِينَ يُنْفِقُونَ أَمْوَالَهُمْ دِغَاءَ مَرْضَاتِ اللَّهِ And the license of those people who spend their wealth, إِبْتِغَاءَ مَرْضَاتِ اللَّهِ Seeking the pleasure of Allah subhanahu So this is the real need. This is the real need. وَتَذْبِيتَ مِنْ أَنفُسِمْ كَمَثَلِ جَنَّةٍ بِالرَّبْوَةِ Okay. Their example is Jannatim bin Rabwa means like a garden. Bin Rabwa means in a high place. High place. Considered to be a good thing in gardens. And same thing, torrential rain reaches that garden. Fa'atat ukulaha dhi'fain. Ukul means its produce, the yield of that garden. Dhi'fain is twofold, is doubled. Okay? So because the torrential rain reaches that garden, the yield or produce is kopedavar, dogna jata, its yield and produce become double. For in lam yusibha wabilun fatallun. And even if, so second way is okay, maybe even if torrential rain doesn't reach it, but fatallun is sometimes translated as drizzle or dew, some light amount of water, some type of wetness will appear if not torrential downpour. Wallahu bimata mulun and basir, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Basir extremely aware bimata amunun about every single thing that you do? Alright. Then Allah Spaltala phrases a rhetorical question. That would any of you wish or love or like that you were to have a jan means a garden, a grove, a garden from all which has all types of dates and all types of grapes, and underneath which rivers flow. 
And in that garden, lahu fiha min kulli thamanat, in that garden you had all types of fruits. But what happens? Wa asabahu kibaru, and then you grow old having such a garden. Wallahu, and then what would that person have? Zuriyatun zu'afa'u, young or weak children. You can say young children, children who are too weak to support themselves. So you had provision, you had this wonderful garden with dates and grapes and all types of fruits and underneath, underneath the rivers flew. And you were old, and you had children who were young of age. And then what happened? فَأَصَابَهَا إِعْصَارٌ That a hurricane, hurricane, cyclone came. فِيهِ نَارٌ With a fire in the center. فَاحْتَرَكَتْ And it caused everything to burn. And this is a term that is used even English, the crops burn, means that it caused all of the fruits to be spoiled, that hurricane. And the fire in the center doesn't mean literally that inside a hurricane there's fire, right? But the eye of the hurricane has such an intensity of that, there's such an intensity in the epicenter where that hurricane and tornado goes, that it's viewed like a fire in terms of its eradicating power. That's what it means here. So it has in its epicenter a force of eradication, that all those crops are, and fruits, sorry, dates and grapes and fruits are eradicated. As you'd feel sad that I'm about to die, and I thought I had done something, spent my whole life as a farmer in this fruit grove, and I lost it all. Just like that, if you give charity, but then you do riyah, you lose it all. That's the example of Allah's giving. So now, and now, don't think that this is just about charity. Riyah and the nas could be for anything. Fasting riyah and the nas, Praying to Hajjad Riyah and the Nas, doing anything out of Riyah. So it means Riyah is a deadly sin. Deadly sin. Kadalaka yumayyinu Allahu lakum al ayati la allakum tatafakkaroon. Thus does Allah SWT make clearly manifest to you his signs, and ayat can mean verses of revelation, and ayat also means ahkam, his laws and rules, la allakum tatafakkaroon, so that hopefully you will be enabled to be people who reflect. Ya ayyuhaladina amnu, you believe anfiku min tayyibat. Now some more ahkam about spending money. So you should spend money, give away from that wealth, from what? مِنْ تَيِّبَاتِ مَا كَسَبْتُمْ From the nice things, the good things, the tayyib, wholesome, pure, intact, good quality things, مَا كَسَبْتُمْ that you earn. وَمِمَّا أَخْرَجْنَا لَكُمْ And from what we bring forth for you, مِنْ الْأَرْضِ From the ground. So if you want to give your driver a mango, don't look for the most spoiled mango in your fridge. That's it. Right? How, how stingy are we? Allah has given us thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars, some of you. What's the difference between the fresh mango and the two-day-old mango? It's like pennies. But that's how we are, right? So don't do that. Don't do that. If a figure comes and you decide to give them food, don't look in the fridge and see what is that sound that is almost or possibly even kharab and give that to them. It's absurd, right? This is tributary. Look at our nafs and you know what I'm talking about. This is our nafs, right? This is our nafs. When you open up your wallet to give a 10 rupee note to the beggar, you look for the dirtiest 10 rupee note. Sometimes you're too busy looking for the dirtiest one and the light turned green and your driver sped off and go bichara mahrum again. Yes, that can even happen. Just because you didn't want to give him the crisp 10 rupee one. Oh,
I can go on and on. <laughs> I have sociologically observed your society in this upper class, which completely lacks class. Nason, <laughs> this Islamic class, you know. That's what I was about to say. When there comes a call for blankets, you find your most worn out, torn blanket and send that one away. So the Sultan is saying, no, what you want? Right? So let's look at this again. Ya ayyuhal ladhina amanu anfiku min tayyibat min tayyibat ma kasabtum from the good, virtuous, noble, wholesome things that you have earned wa mimma akhrajna lakum min al-ard and from the things that we have brought forth from your land. Wala tayammamul khabitha minhu Don't often select the khabith, the spoiled and rotten ones from those things. Now, it's a, this is a little bit difficult to translate, so let me just read it completely in, in Arabic, and I'm going to give you a bit of an idiomatic translation. Okay, because word-for-word translation, you won't understand. Those of you reading translations, sometimes really, sometimes you read English translation, you understand English words, because they're trying to be too literal to the Arabic. They don't convey to you the sense and the meaning. So, Al-Khabitha minhu tunfikuna wa lastum bi'akhidihi illa an Okay, what does it mean that don't opt for those things that are spoiled from that spend, from that which you spend, while you would yourself not take it without having some disregard for it. Don't give from those things that are spoiled and rotten. Don't give from those things that you yourself would not take it. You would take it, but you wouldn't take it without feeling bad about it without having some disregard, some, you know, the same feeling that you would get, the same look you would expect on your 10-year-old son if you came home and took away his nice blanket and gave him that nappy blanket, the same look that he would have, right? The same look that you would have and feeling you would have if you were given something of inferior or fading quality or somebody put in front of you a doll that smells that it may be okay or maybe on the verge of not being okay. Right? That's what Allah SWT is saying. And know that Allah SWT is independent of you and your charity. Because remember, it's peace of the love. So we think that that person, that person is needy, so he's so needy, he even needs my old clothing. You were giving for the sake of Allah. And Allah tells beyond being needy that he even needs your natural clothing. Right? إِنَّ اللَّهَ غَنِيٌّ حَمِيدٌ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Hamid from what I recall so far, first time it's come in Qur'an, Hamid, worthy of praise. All worthy of praise is Hamid. Allah ta'ala is all independent and all worthy of praise. الشَّيْتَانُ يَعِدُكُمْ الْفَقْرَ Shaitan is going to scare you. This word, يَعِدُ comes for two meanings. And here, it's a stylistic feature of Qur'an that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to use them in both meanings, one after the other. One meaning of this word can mean to scare or to instill fear. And another meaning is promise. So indeed, shaitan scares you, al-fakr, that you become poor if you give the good stuff away. Or if you just give in the deen. وَيَعْمَرُكُمْ بِالْفَحْشَاءِ And then he commands you to do what is indecent. So, this could be taken generally that he commands us to indecency. Or it could mean that giving from those khabisat, instead of taibat, is being referred to as fahshah. وَاللَّهُ يَعْدُكُمْ But Allah sponsor promises you مَغْفِرَةٌ مِنْهُ وَفَضْلًا 
that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promises that He will send His maghfirah upon you when you give those tayyibah. وَفَضْلًا And He will bestow upon you additional of His bounty and grace from His generosity. Not fucker, you will get puzzle. Right? وَاللَّهُ وَاسِيُونَ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's all-encompassing ability and possession, عَذِيمًا is all-knowing. يُؤْتِي الْحِكْمَةَ مَنْ يِشَاءَ Allah Ta'ala gives wisdom and understanding to whom He so wills. وَمَنْ يُؤْتَ الْحِكْمَةَ On that person to whom that wisdom and understanding is bestowed, فَقَدْ أُوْتِيَ خَيْرًا كَثِيرًا Indeed, He has been given something, خَيْرًا كَثِيرًا of an incredible grace. She made dua for the hikmah. وَمَا يَذَّكَّرُوا إِلَّا أُولُ الْأَلْبَاءِ And no one will get Yazakar, when you have the shadda on both of these, it means that they will not be able to obtain or ascertain or follow the nasiha illa ulul albam except people who have soft hearts of understanding. Lub is not akal. Lub is the understanding of the heart. Lub is the understanding of the heart. Wama anfakta mimman nafakatin oh Okay, here comes nothing that that which you spend from your expenditures, and now own another. So that came, I told you, if you do another, which you call in Urdu, I think, mannat, right? When you make a pledge in the name of Allah SWT, you must fulfill that. Okay, own another, tom, min nadrin fa innallaha ya'lamu. That whenever you spend, right, make an expenditure from any of your expenses, or you invoke another, from any type of another, then indeed Allah SWT knows it. And those people who are unjust, who will either spend in these bad ways that Allah Ta'ala outlined or break their nether, they will not have any helpers, any supporters. Now Allah Ta'ala mentions different ways that you can give sadaqah or zakat. Into this sadaqati, that if you were to give openly, then that's also very good. That is also very good. وَإِن تُخْفُوهَا But if you were to give secretly, conceal that act of giving, وَتُؤْتُوهَا الْفُقَرَاءَ And if you were to give it to the needy, فَهُوَ خَيْرٌ لُكُمْ Then that is better for you. Alright. The Fuqaha have written here that this is the normal default ruling, that it is better if you give it secretly, but still very good if you give it openly. But in, the, in that particular case, that if there is some gathering or some function or some... Thing in which if you give it openly, maybe others will be given targheeb. So for example, let's say there is a gathering, let's say there's a fundraiser, and there's a lot of university students there. And most universities think that, yeah, we're students, we can't give anything. One university student feels in his heart that he wants to give, and he realizes that, you know, all my friends aren't giving because they all think just like I probably... He himself was thinking, right, sitting on the university student, but then somehow that's open his heart to give. And then you realize that they're probably all thinking the same way. Like, I was just thinking that I'm a university student, I can't give. So then he actually goes and gives it, like the way people are giving it publicly on the stage. And then the others, with this name, not that people will praise me, not Raya, but that people will see that, look, if he can give it, he's also just like us, he's a university student, so that means we can also give something. So if that is the possibility and that is your niya, then in that case it's better to give publicly. In that case, it's better to give publicly. Same thing for all acts of philanthropy or good deeds, that we do them in a concealed way that is better. But if doing them openly or sharing some of those activities with people as a means of creating an awareness and invitation and to include them and invite them and draw them in, then there can be disclosure. But if that benefit isn't there, then it's better not to disclose the activities that we do.
Alright? Okay. And then Allah Subhanahu will forgive for you now. Min comes here for ba'ad. Min comes for tabis. Part of your sins. So at least parts of what the Mufassirin have said here is the savire, the minor, lesser sins can be forgiven and waived due to the charity that you give. Alright? And Allah Subhanahu is extremely aware in each and everything that you do. Laysa alayka hudahum. Now Allah shifts and says, O Nabiya Salam, it is not mandatory on you to success, that they should be successfully guided. But rather, Allah Subhanahu successfully guides whomsoever He wishes. Okay, going back to spending wamatun fikum min khairin fale anfusikum. And whatever you spend from khair, now here khair again is your mouth, your wealth, your property possessions, and you do that in a good way, fale anfusikim, then the benefit of that would be to you. Wamatun fikuna illa tiga awajhillah. And whatsoever you spend seeking the pleasure, literally waj, and I did this before, Allah Spantal does not have a face literally, seeking the pleasure of Allah Spantal. وَمَا تُنْفِكُوا مِنْ خَيْرٍ يُوَفَّ إِلَيْكُمْ That whatever you spend from your wealth and will be completely repaid and you will get the complete recompense and reward for that. وَأَنْتُمْ لَا تُظْلَمُونَ And you will never ever be wronged in any way. Okay, this is this ayah that is mentioning what are the people who it's best to give this sadaqah to. So these are those people who are poor, who have been ufsiru fi sabilillah. Literally it means that they are confined fi sabilillah. But it doesn't mean they have been confined by some enemy. It means that they have chosen a life in which they are dedicated exclusively to Fisabilullah. What does it mean? The Sha'an al-Nuzul, or the original occasion revelation of this ayah, was about the Ashab al-Sufa. And I must say, who were the Ashab al-Sufa? Those were those Sahaba al-Kram who had chosen to enclose themselves or exclusively devote themselves. That's the Ufsiru part, that they exclusively devoted themselves, Fisabilullah, to the deen of Allah subhanahu wa they were always doing the khidmat of Sayyidina Rasulullah always present when he narrated hadith, the first to go forth, and in fact, indeed, the first to be sent forth on jihad, right? So they had they had dedicated themselves, peace be Allah. And sometimes because of that, it literally means that they don't have the ability to travel this earth, right? Okay. They didn't have financial ability. And the incident that happened with Sayyidina Abu Huraira radiallahu ta'ala anhu was one of these Islam al-Sufa. And he also, because he was not doing anything to earn, he dedicated himself completely to deen. So many times he was hungry. Sometimes because of hungry, he fell, that hungry fell ill. And once what happened was he fainted from hunger. Fainted, i.e. he became unconscious. Can you imagine that level of hunger that he had? But, even then he would never ask anyone. This is it's coming in a moment. He would never ask anyone. So what is Swatal saying is that Yahsabuhumul Jahilu That the Jahil, the ignorant and uncaring, Yahsabuhum, Hasbiguman thinks of them, Agniya Aminat thinks that they're free of need, doesn't think they're needy. 
The ignorant and uncaring doesn't actually realize that they're needy because they abstain from asking, because of their abstinence from this world, right? That they act, that they're being zahid, so the jahil thinks that they don't have any need. They're being zahid doesn't mean they don't have to eat, right? Okay. Ta'rifuhum bisimahum, and you will be able to recognize them by their appearance. Now this can mean, in one sense, it may mean their appearance that they may have the appearance of a poor person, they may have raggedy clothes, it may also mean, for Ashab al-Sufa, you will recognize them by the appearance of nur on their face, right? But you will be able to recognize that person. La yas'aluna nasa ilhafa. And these people, they don't ask, they don't make su'af. Sayyidina Abu Hurairah refused to ask anybody for any zakat. Ilhafa, it's, the way I would translate it is importune. Importunely means without propriety. They don't believe that it's proper to ask. وَمَا تُنْفِكُوا مِنْ خَيْرٍ فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ بِهِ أَلِيمٍ So here actually the shara was that you should actually try to pay your sadaqah to these type of people. But the type of people like that that exist today, the nisbah of Ashab al-Sufa has fallen to the madarasi diniya arabiya al-Islami. And many madrasa teachers will never ask you. It doesn't mean, and they, they, will, look, they will look very sufi-fakir to you. And you will assess them, and this is this is again the ajib mentality of the upper class Pakistan. You will say, but TikTok motorcycle product, but TikTok. Up and up motorcycle for TikTok, nations then, right? You change the definition of TikTok for others, right? Do so you think him yeah, seems to be fine? Seems seems to be okay. Seems to have some flesh on his bones. Seems to be wearing clothes. Doesn't smell. You the the bar you have before you give someone is so low. Right? But actually he also has needs, right? You try to survive on 8,000 or 12,000 or even 15,000 a month. You guys won't even be able to survive on 50,000 a month. Hmm? Just because they don't ask. And you know something? Ajeeb, my sheikh and my ustad, my ustad, my ustad, he mentioned a fascinating thing about zakat that never occurred to me. Fascinating thing. That in the entire Quran, Allah SWT always gives hukam wa'atibuz zakat to the people upon whom zakat is first. They must give it. Never once does Allah Ta'ala tell the people who are mustahikul zakat that they should try to ask for it. Ajeeb nukta. In the entire Quran, Allah Ta'ala always and always and only and exclusively tells the people upon whom zakat is first that they should pay it. He never tells the person who is most hick of the cause that they should ever ask for. That could have been there also, that oh you people who are fakir, go ask the people to give you zakat, right? Yeah, okay. La yas aluna nasa il haf. Alright. Okay. So anyway, each and everything that you spend from your wealth, indeed Allah spawned us on the night. And those who spend their wealth in night and in daytime, secretly and openly, and they will have their reward with their love. And there will be no fear on them, nor shall they ever grieve. Alright, next ayah is about riba. Right, now since Allah spawned us talking about financial matters, Allah SWT is going to mention the most devastating, crippling financial thing that a person can do, and that is to consume interest. So Allah SWT says, those who consume, devour, 
This is what it means. So this one doesn't say those who charge riba, collect riba. Allah uses in Arabic a very strong way to describe this activity. Those who like madmen consume and devour riba. La yuqimuna, they will not be made to stand on the day, will not rise and stand on the day of judgment. Illa except Kamal like that person, except like that person who would stand, Yukumun Ladi, Shaitan, that Shaitan has driven them crazy, Minal Masi by his touch. Now is there anybody who is a mu'min and even then engages in any kind of riba? will stand on the Day of Judgment like a madman who is driven mad, or mad woman driven mad by Iblis. That's the first thing. And why? This was because they used to say, that indeed bears the same thing as riba. You call it profit, I call it interest, you call it rent, I call it interest, you call it bear, I call it riba, you call it tijara, I call it riba, you call it ijara, I call it riba. Allah understood. They're, what are they going to do? They're going to use the aql. This is how Allah Ta'ala deals with people who about They give rational reasons. They say it's the same thing. What's the difference? Defense, national, savings, certificates. Hmm? All of that stuff. So Allah Ta'ala says, look, you're presenting your aql. This is the shan of Allah Ta'ala. Watch now. He doesn't give reasons when humans present their aql. When we present our aql, then he presents his hukam to us. It's finished. Hukam. This, this is the difference. Allah Ta'ala has made bayah halal and made riba haram. That's the difference. There's no mythal. One is halal, one is haram. فَمَنْ جَاءَهُ مَوْئِذَةٌ مِنْ رَبِّهِ and that person who has received this admonishment has come to them in admonishment and advice from the Rabb, Fantaha, and now they refrain. They stop doing riba altogether when this Quran is revealed. Falahuma salat, and whatever is gone, let bygones be gone. Whatever is gone is gone. Wa amrahu ilallah, at the same time, yibbi ajib shah. Falahuma salat, but then, wa amrahu ilallah. Lahuma salat means in this dunya. They will not be required in terms of the court rulings of Sharia to return the interest they gained. But whether they truly make Toba, they desist, but how sorry do they feel about what happened in the past? Whether they spiritually really make Toba, that belongs to Allah SWT and the Day of Judgment. But that person who after this verse comes down returns and still does interest. Such a person will be the companion of Jahannam. And the people of Iman are being addressed here. People of Iman are being addressed. You're going to see that in a moment. That person is the companion of hellfire. They will dwell therein almost forever. They will dwell therein forever. Or so long will be the punishment for the mu'minin who do interest. It's almost like forever. So that's the punishment in Akhra, punishment in this world. Yamhukullahu riba. Allah Ta'ala will erase their interest in this world. He may not erase it in quantity, but He will erase it in barakah. So a person engaged in interest got 20,000 extra rupees. Allah Ta'ala will make somebody steal from him false file, unjust property, car accident, illness, medical expense. Allah Ta'ala will take it away from them. Allah Ta'ala will take it away from them in somewhere or the other. 
Allah will erase riba. And no way yun bas sadaqat, but Allah Ta'ala increases a person in charity. That's what Allah Ta'ala is saying. When you do interest, outwardly you think your money goes up. When you give charity, apparently your money goes down. Allah Ta'ala is saying in actuality it's the opposite. When you take riba, your money will go down, and when you give charity, your money will go up. Wallahu la yuhibbu. This is the, maybe one of the most intense punishments for riba. And Allah Ta'ala won't love. La yuhibbu. This is real Abdi Mu'min, when they hear this, this is why they should stop riba. Because every Abdi Mu'min should want to become the Mahboob of Allah SWT. And if Allah is saying, Wallahu la yuhibbu, He will not love the person who does riba, that should have been enough. But then Allah Ta'ala describes, who is that person who does riba? Kulla kafarin. Kafar, not even kafir, kafar. Like you have alim and allama, right? So kafir and kafar. Super ungrateful, super denier. That's how Allah Ta'ala views. When I've set you clearly hukum, when I've given you hukum wa ahallallah when I've said wa harram riba and you still engage in riba, you're super denier. Wa athim, like you have alim and alim, to athim means sinner. Athim means super sinner. So Allah Ta'ala is calling the person who does riba a super unbeliever, super denier, and super sinner. Then you can see a style of Allah Ta'ala Quran that he goes back, right, from scolding to also giving glad tidings to those, opening the door for Tawbah. Here that is, Indeed those who believe and perform righteous deeds, ibadat, and other righteous deeds. And regularly, firmly establish their prayer. And themselves pay their zakah. لَهُمْ أَجْرُهُمْ إِنَّ رَبِّهِمْ They will have the reward with their rub. So what does it mean? This includes leaving riba. What Allah Ta'ala is saying is leave riba, do the basic things, regular salah, pay zakat, what will happen? وَلَا خَوْفٌ عَلَيْهِمْ وَلَا هُمْ يَحْزُنُونَ There will be no fear in them nor shall they grieve. يَا أَيُوْدِينَ أَمْنُوا تَكُوا اللَّهَ وَذَرُوا مَا بَكِيَ مِنَ الرِّبَى See, ayat is for believers. Nothing to do with Jews. Nothing to do with the pre-Islamic Jews. No. يَا أَيُوْهَا الَّذِينَ أَمْنُوا O you who believe, اِتَّكُوا اللَّهَ Fear Allah SWT وَذَرُوا and leave مَا بَكِيَ مِنَ الرِّبَى Each and every last drop of riba. This is where Mr. Ghamdi was mistaken because when he first looked at the beginning of this, he said, Alladina ya'kuluna riba. So he said that Allah Ta'ala is saying, only those who eat the interest, i.e. charge the interest, i.e. take interest for sinners. This is still his current, if I can't say fatwa or ruling, because it was it's his current opinion. Right? That only the people who take interest, only that's forbidden. Sahiyadi, Sayyidina Rasulullah said that the person who takes interest, gives interest, records that transaction, and serves as a witness to the recording of the transaction, all of them are removed from the mercy of Allah SWT. Ghamdi's response that that hadith goes against Qur'an. Actuality, that hadith goes against Ghamdi's understanding of Qur'an. Anyone, even if I tell you, if I ever tell you this hadith goes against Qur'an, all I can be saying is that Kamaluddin's understanding of this hadith goes against Kamaluddin's understanding of Qur'an. And your answer should be, okay, let us see, what about the Muhaddithin's understanding of this hadith, and the Mufassirin's understanding of that ayat? So Ta'aruz, conflict and contradiction, will only occur when the Muhaddithin's understanding of hadith goes against the Mufassirin's understanding of Qur'an. 
I'm sorry, but conflict and contradiction is not established when Ghamdi's understanding of Hadith goes against Ghamdi's understanding of Qur'an, especially when his understanding of Qur'an is wrong. And I can prove it to you, if you don't accept that Sahih from Qur'an itself, when Allah SWT is saying, leave, Leave every single thing that remains. Even your Urdu knows what Baqiya means. Leave everything that remains. Ghamdi's ruling says that taking of interest should not remain in the Muslims, but giving interest remains. Recording interest remains. Witnessing interest remains. Working for interest-based institutions remains. Therefore, interest-based institutions themselves remain. Therefore, interest itself remains. And Qur'an Allah Ta'ala saying, وَذَلُوا مَا بَقِيَ مِنَ riba, Leave every single thing that remains of riba, which means what? So that riba itself no longer remains in any way, shape, or form whatsoever. إِن كُنْتُمْ مُؤْمِنِينَ Indeed, if indeed you are really believers, means your very iman depends upon it. فَإِن لَمْ تَفْعَلُوا And if you don't do that, don't do what? If you don't, Charge into snow if you don't do that which was just told to you. If you don't leave every drop that remains, that you should know that the proclamation be announced like Adhan is Adhan. You know Adhan. Adhan, Alam. Here the proclamation of Harbum min Allahi wa Rasulihi of war from Allah subhanahu wa as a messenger sallallahu alayhi wa you know, the person who still does riba or somehow wants to argue and think that riba should remain, should think about this ayah. And they should feel that, what does it mean? They should think that were the Apostle to come back in time, he would physically wage war against me. That's what this ayah means. What does this ayah mean? That if I'm a Muslim who's working in Citibank, that harba min Allah is my category, that means my category in the akhirat is like the people who the Apostle fought in Badr and Uhud. That's who the Prophet did harb with, right? So I'm like that. That's what I've become. I've become like the mushrikeen and kuffar who were at Uhud who the Prophet fought against. That's what a person should think. It's not something to take lightly. And because we have people who are trying to delude us to take it lightly, then every single block of every single market of every single neighborhood, there's not just one, but multiple institutions that openly engage in interest-bearing activities. Right? In our own Muslim countries. And I was also saying he doesn't want it. He doesn't want it. It's that simple. It's enough for us. That's what a mu'min is, a mu'min and abd is that hum- name of that human being that if Allah Ta'ala clearly says he doesn't want something, they don't do it at all. It's finished for them. It's finished for them. You should just imagine, imagine if there is, you know, so many, uh, you should view every bank branch as a pork restaurant. There are other things, but that's more intense and there are women listening, but you just imagine like that. It's, sin is a sin. Gunaka adda. But it doesn't matter that the people are wearing suits and ties and are civilized and for some reason you don't view it as a sin. Replace it with any other sin, it's the same thing. A sin is a sin. Harrama, harrama. Openly doing haram. Right? Okay. When kana dhu usra, if that person, if the person who took the loan, right, the person who took the loan is dhu usra means straightened, is poor, financially straightened. Fanadiratun. Then you should defer it ila maysara into a period that is easier for them. Wa anta And if you forgive it to them, 
What's happening here? I, I skipped and I skipped a few eyes actually. Wa in tubtum and if you make toba, if you make toba, then you will have your principal. So if you lend somebody out a loan with interest, you can collect the initial loan. You have to give up the interest. Neither should you do any unjust and wrong, nor will you be wronged. That person who you gave the loan, so now you're entitled to get the principal back, maybe he's in financial difficulty. He's like, oh, I took the loan from you to do so. I don't have that cash. So you should defer that payment to a time that's easy for him. And if you even forgive him that principal amount, if you forgive it to him, that will be better for you. Be better for you. Lukum, better for you. In kuntum ta'lamun, if only you knew. Wattuku yawman turja'oon fihi ilallah. Fear that day in which you will be returned to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Thumma tubaffa kullu nafsin ma kasabat. And you will be recompensed in full. Each and every self person will be recompensed in full. Ma kasabat, what they earned, what they earned and what they did, wa huwa la yudlamun, and they will not be wronged in any way. Or you believe when you... Okay, this is the eye about... Yes, inshallah, we're going to keep going. We're going to finish Surah Bakr today, inshallah. This is the ayah. And those of you in Karachi, I did this for you in detail, in the University presentation on Islam, women, and gender, right? Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, O you believe, idha tadayantum, that when you engage in an exchange or agreement or contract of debt or liability of any kind, it's not just loan, but if there's any mutual agreement in which there's an incurring of financial liability, can be loan, can be partnership, can be business, can be sale, can be many things. That there's going to be a financial liability, a monetary hak that has to be paid. Okay? Including loan. And that financial liability has a stipulated time period in which that liability will have to be offered. Then you should write it down. Write that whole agreement down. Not just the time period, everything. Write it all down. And you should get a professional scribe, like in today in this world also, right? Many times not lawyers who draft these contracts. That's a kata, a professional scribe, who will do so with justice. And the kata should not refuse. That he should not refuse to record that transaction the way Allah, because that's Allah Ta'ala taught him. So Allah Ta'ala, it says, and shara by the way to us, that when Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala gives us a skill or ability, and at any time there's a possibility, opportunity, for us to use that skill and ability to enact and implement and uphold the sharia, we should not deny to do that. Because that ability was taught to us by Allah Subhanahu Ta'ala to live and use in accordance with His laws and rules, and to serve and uphold His laws and rules. فَالْيَقْتُبْ So he should write it. So who should dictate the terms? This is very key teaching. So, so not the person who is going to collect, right? But the person who is incurring the liability, who is voluntarily entering a contract, in which they're incurring liability, let them dictate. So then afterwards there's no thing, they don't want to right? Got it? Who should dictate? This is also in the beauty of the teachings of the deen of Islam. And 
And that person, when he's doing it, he should fear Allah Subhanahu who is his Rabb. وَلَا يَبْخَسْ مِنْهُ شَيْئًا Should not omit mention of it from, from that written contract or agreement. Should not omit anything. Mention of anything from it. فَإِنْ عَلَيْهِ And if that person upon whom is incurring that financial liability, سَفِيهًا If they're, it can mean ignorant or unwise or foolish, right? أَوْ ضَعِيفًا Can mean weak. It can also include children. Anybody who is not able, doesn't possess full capacity to act in their best interest. Therefore, what do they need? And or for some reason they have the ability to dictate it. Then some wali or wakil, somebody, guardian, benefactor, power of attorney, somebody who's acting. The reason the word wakil isn't used. Wali is shamalun wakil here. But wali means the one who is the benefactor. Somebody who's acting in that person's best interest. Someone who has capacity to act and can act in that person's best interest, should dictate it on that person's behalf, bil adal, on the means again of justice and righteousness. Second ruling, so the first ruling was that you should have a scribe, it should be written, and some professional should write it, and it should be dictated by the one who is incurring liability. The next one, وَاسْتَشْهِدُوا شَهِيدَيْنِ مِنْ رِجَالِكُمْ That two men, two witnesses from the men, from your men, should witness this act. Okay. Let me explain to you this very briefly, and then those of you who, especially the women who may want more details, can listen to the talk. I don't know if it's online. They can put it online, right? You can excerpt of this. Very quickly, very, very quickly. There are two things that are going to be going on in this verse. One is the number of witnesses, and the second thing is the gender of witnesses. But irrespective of the number, irrespective of the gender, the first thing you have to understand is the other things Allah is going to mention in this series, Allah subhanahu is going to mention a series of verses, which is number one, that this is just about financial transactions. Number two, if you agree to serve as a witness to that agreement, it means that it is farth, it will be farth upon you in the event of a dispute, if the case goes to court, it will be farth upon you to go to court and offer your testimony against whichever one of the party you are going to be asked to testify against. So it's a civic responsibility, a public duty. Next, that requires time, that requires sometimes travel, that requires exposure and involvement in the public realm, and that requires, according to Allah's Fatah in the Qur'an, potential exposure to harm and threat from that party against whom you will be testifying. So for all of these reasons that I mentioned, Allah subhanahu does not want to place what Allah ta'ala views as a burden. You see, this is not the right of a woman, there is no great honor and status in witnessing financial transactions and then going court to court and testifying. None of us do. I've never had to do that. I would hate to do that. I, mean, I would hate to do it. I would hate to witness it. Well, I would dislike to witness it, and I would hate to have to be dragged into court to testify against one of the two parties. Right? So this is not some act of virtue. This is not an act that contains some spirituality in it. Right? Here it's an act of reward if you do it, that's coming if you do it for the sake of the spontaneous reward, but it's not inherently a spiritual act. It's an, you can't say intizami more, it's a purely administrative matter. And so because Allah Ta'ala doesn't want to burden women with these administrative matters, and in many other spheres of human life, 
Allah has put the primary burden of administrative matters on men. So here the Muqtalaba, the request, the, the, the rule Allah is going to give is that the first choice for the gender of the witnesses should be men. Number two is the issue of number. In financial transactions, one is not enough. Why? Because the two parties to a dispute are disputing one another. So it's already one party's word over another one party's word. If you bring in a witness, now it will be one witness's word over one party's word. So we need a higher number in order to give some type of thabur to hujiyah, to give some type of legal proof, so that the number is two. Second reason the number is two, which is they're going to spill over to the gender issue, is that sometimes people engage in a contract, and ten years later they have a dispute, and then they bring it to court, and so maybe ten years later the person is going to be called to testify in court. So any human being, man or woman, may forget. So the procedural law of Islam is that that man and the, the, the two witnesses will be asked to, as we say in English, confer in close quarters to remind one another and try to recall what exactly it was they witnessed. All right. So for this reason, two men would be fine with all of this. The reason Allah Ta'ala doesn't want two women is because Allah Ta'ala doesn't want to put the burden of potential harm on a woman. Second option would have been, third option would have been one man and one woman. Allah Ta'ala doesn't allow one man and one woman to confer in close orders in privacy to discuss anything, let alone the financial matters of complete other people. Fourth option was then how do you get the number two? You can have one man and two women. This was the way to fulfill both features. And number one, the way the procedure would work is first the man would testify. So when the man testifies and he opens the way, then there's no much harm left. And if any of the parties to the financial dispute are going to direct their arm on somebody, and they know the procedure law that the man is going to testify first, so they would try to direct their arm against the man. So having the one man in there save the women from the potential harm. Having the women being two as opposed to one allows the witnesses to confer. Either the two women can confer together, or observing the laws of Islamic interaction, the one man and two women, three could confer together, but because it's not khalwa, khalwa means when a one man and one woman are alone, with one man and two women alone, for some shafi reason and with shari parda, that can happen. That's it. That's all this verse is about. So now we just translate it very quickly for you, the part that is left. So two witnesses from, from amongst your men should witness, and if they are not two men, then one man and two women, from those on which you are pleased with. This applies to all the witnesses, from those you accept and view to be reliable witnesses. In other words, it's up to the two financial parties, the two parties in the financial agreement. Whoever you like, you can make the witnesses. Alright? Okay. The reason why it's true, anta dilla ihdahuma, that if any one of the two makes an error, then the other one of the two can remind them. And and the witnesses cannot deny, they cannot refuse when they are summoned to testify in court. And they should not be and do not be wary, do not think it as burdensome that you should write down these agreements sagira or kabira whether they may be small or whether they may be large in the towards their due date in other words if it's just one month agreement don't think ya fayda lakhne ka dekho alright 
This is more equitable in the eyes of Allah subhanahu more appropriate to witnessing. And this will be make you less free of doubt. Unless you're engaging in an on-the-spot transaction, right there, so there's no liability being deferred to a future period. You're buying a pen and he's giving you the money back. You don't need to call two witnesses in and say, this is the, this receipt, you gave me the receipt, but I need two witnesses to sign this receipt. That's in it. Okay? Okay, so if you're doing a spot transaction between the two of you, then there is no sin upon you if you don't write it down. Then, what should do you And you should have these witnesses whenever you engage in contracts of sale. No harm should befall the scribe. Nobody should force him to write. No harm, you don't underpay him. Recompense him. And no harm should befall the witness. So when Allah Ta'ala is instructing that no harm should befall the witness, it means that Allah Ta'ala feels that there's a potential for humans to want to harm the witness. And that's why Allah Ta'ala is protecting Baron from the sin. If you do harm either the scribe or the witness, then know that it is fusuk, it is sin upon you, sin become, it is a sin that will be attached to you. What took Allah fear, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and Allah subhanahu has taught you, Allah subhanahu has all knowing all things. But if you are traveling, or you cannot find a scribe, then what you can do for rehanun, you can take collateral, take something collateral, makbul. So you're traveling somewhere, Alright, so look, I'll, I, I'm going to borrow some money if you, I'll pay you a thousand dollars back later, in two months, so you can give me your watch. You can take something that's collateral, and you can, you have to take that collateral in your possession, makbul. But the collateral is an amana, you can't use it. It's very important because in Pakistan, some people have this thing that they give their homes as rehen, so somebody needs 20,000, uh, 20 lakhs cash immediately. He doesn't know how to get it, so what some Pakistanis have made, they say, I'm going to give you so you can take my house as rehen. And meanwhile the person lives in that house. That's not jais. What is given in rehen is amana. Amana means that you take possession of it and you keep it as a trust, but you don't make use of it, derive any benefit from it whatsoever. If you derive benefit from it, then it's like a type of interest. Pen amina. Ba'dakum Some of you place an amana or trust, some of you in others. Then the one who is entrusted with amana too, with the trust of others, should adai, should fulfill that trust. And that person should feel who is his rub. And do not conceal your witnessing. If you witness something, you must testify to it. You cannot conceal to the fact that you witnessed it. That person who conceals your testimony, indeed, their heart is sinning. This would be an interesting thing to talk to you about maybe some other day. But the sin is qalb. Qalb. What sin is the qalb? The heart is being described as a sinner. Wallahu bima ta'maluna alim. And indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all-knowing in everything you do. Lillahi ma fi samawati wa ma fi al-ard. Now after mentioning all of these ahkam, so many rulings that came in Surah Baqarah, now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to wind up Surah Baqarah and saying that that Allah who gave all these rules, who revealed all these ahkam, that legislator, who is he? That is that Allah to whom exclusively belong the dominion, of each and everything that lies in what that that is that is contained in that which lies above and that which falls on the earth. That whether you disclose and make apparent what is in your heart and in your mind and yourself, or whether you conceal it, 
either way, yuhasibukum bihillah, Allah Ta'ala will hold you accountable for it, both your zahir and your batin, what you do, what you say, what you think, and you feel, and he will, after knowing all of that, then he will forgive whomsoever he wills, and he will inflict his punishment on whomsoever he wills. Wallahu ala kulli shayin kadir. Indeed, Allah subhanahu is powerful over everything. Amin al-Rasulu bima umzila ilayhi min rabbihi wal mu'minun. That the Prophet ﷺ believes in everything that was revealed to him from his Rabb, and the believers also believe in everything that was revealed to their Prophet from their Rabb. Kullun each and every one of them. Believers, Amana Billahi believe in Allah subhanahu wa malaikatihi and all of his angels, Wakutubihi and all of his books and revealed revelations, Burusulihi and all of his prophets and messengers, Land Nufandukubaina Ahadim Mir Rusulihi, and we not do not distinguish or make a difference in terms of our iman and belief. From any one of the prophets, we believe in every one of the prophets to be a Nabi. وَقَالُوا سَمِعْنَا وَأَطَعْنَا And the believers are people who say, we listen and we obey. Listen and obey, not listen and ask for justification. Listen and want explanation. Listen and see demonstration. Listen and see benefit. No, سَمِعْنَا وَأَطَعْنَا We listen and obey. أَحَلَّ اللَّهُ الْبَيْعَ وَحَرَّمَ الْرَبَاهُ We listen and we obey. Gufranaka Rabbana that Ya Allah, your forgiveness, Ya Allah. This is an This is this interesting way to make the Gufranaka your forgiveness. This is what we want. Ya Allah Rabbana or our Rabb wa ilaykal Masir and to you we are returning. La yukallafullahu nafsan illa wasaha that Allah Subhanahu does not burden nor will he ask any person, any self except that which was in the person's capacity, lahama kasabat, and that person will have to their benefit the things of virtue that they earn, wa aleha, and will count against every self, maktasabat, the things that they incurred, the wrongs that they incurred. Rabbana la tuakhidna in nasina, O Allah Subhanahu do not call us to account, do not inflict your punishment on us, in nasina, if we forget or overlook, or akhta'na, or if we err and mistake. Rabbana, Ya Allah, you are our Rabb, wala tahmil anayna, and do not place upon us isran, such a burden, such a task, kama hamaltahu ala ladina min kablina, that you had placed on those who have come before us. Rabbana, Ya Allah, you are our Rabb, wala tahmilna ma la taqatalana, and do not entask us and make us immediately and intently responsible for those things, la taqatalana, that we have no mind whatsoever inside of us to do those things. Wa'fu anna and pardon us. Wa'fir lana and forgive us. And forgive us. Wa'hamna and send your mercy upon us. Anta maulana. Ya Allah, you are our master. Fansurna al-qawmil kafirin. And grant us your help against the community of unbelievers. Wa'akhir da'wana. Alhamdulillah. Subhanallah, <laughs> 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 <laughs>
Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, we ask that you enable us to follow each and every one of the ahkam of the Sharia. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we've learnt and heard and listened to so many of rulings in Surah Baqarah. Ya Allah, let us benefit from the azim ayat of this Qur'an. Let us become people who understand your zat and sifat, who pattern our humanity on ubudiyat to your zat and all of your sifat. Ya Allah, Rabbi Kareem. We ask for forgiveness for all the sins that we have ever done. We ask your forgiveness for the stinginess in our hearts, for the miserliness in our hearts, for being insensitive to the needs of those around us, being insensitive and uncaring to those who are around us. It have became with us that you soften our heart, make our heart generous, make our heart open, make our heart flowing, make our heart flooding. Ya Rabbi Kareem, accept us for the khidmat of the mu'mineen and muslimin. Ya Allah, accept us for the khidmat of your ibad. Accept us for the khidmat of the fuqara al-masakeen. Accept us for the khidmat of the ibn al-sabil. Accept us for the khidmat of those who are fi sabil Allah, who have dedicated their lives like ashab al-sufa, those young men and women studying in the institutes of Islamic learning, those mature adults teaching and writing in the students in the institutions of Islamic learning, yet a bikram let us do khidmat of them the way the Sahaba Karam used to do khidmat of the Ashab al-Sufa. Yet a bikram give us husni zan from about the awliya, ulama and sulaha, and mufassreen, muhandiseen, fuqahai, mujtahideen, siddiqeen, sahabsul shuhada and salihin. Ya Allah, ya Rabbi Kareem, and an envy of us, ya Rabbi Kareem, and all of us have fallen into sin, let us be true in our tawbah. Ya Rabbi Kareem, when we hear from you, you wa'amruhu illallah Ya Rabbi Kareem we begin to shake we begin to tremble Ya Rabbi Kareem we have no amr that can ever stand to be presented in front of you there is no matter concerning us that is strong enough to come in front of you Ya Rabbi Kareem if our amr lies with you we ask that you make it an amr of tawbah an amr of maghfirah an amr of your rahmah that Ya Rabbi Kareem in this earth before we pass away that you forgive each and every one of our sins wipe away the sins of our good deeds Ya Rabbi Kareem, we have no ability and no might and no power to stand in front of you on that day. Ya Rabbi Kareem, send your mercy upon us now. Make us people of rushd hidayah. Make us people who are guided on true hidayah. Let us submit to each and every teaching of yours. Ya Allah, save us from the fitna of those who may mean well but are ignorant. Save us from the fitna of those who may mean well but do not know. Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, guide us to the guidance. Guide us to the guiders of the guidance. Let us remain steadfast in the teachings of Quran al-Kareem as transmitted by Nabi al-Kareem sallallahu alayhi and as preserved and expounded by the Mufassirin and Muhaddithin and Fuqaha and Usuliyin and as lived and practiced and embodied by the awliya'i kamilin and Siddiqeen and Salihin. Ya Allah, Ya Rabb, Ya Rahman ربنا تكمل منا إنك أنت السميع العليم وتب علينا إنك أنت التواب الرحيم وصلى الله تعالى على حبيبه سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين برحمتك يا أرحم الراحمين